Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening, everybody. Just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night, and it's midweek motorsport. Hanged off here, and we are, well, sort of getting back to normal, but in stages, because I'm here tonight at uh, Hindoff Towers, which is all good news, and up in London is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim, for the first time in a while. Good evening, John. It's only last week's show that I missed. Yeah, it just fails forever. It does, because obviously we didn't do a show the previous week because of the uh, Porsche special. Yes, correct. So it's uh, a couple of weeks since we've heard from you. And you say it? it's normal for you to be at Hindhoff Towers, but really is that the case? Because you seem to be there less than you aren't there. Really? Yeah. Okay. You won't be there next week. No, I won't. That's true. Uh, that's true. Responsible so- adults must hate having a, such a huge empty mansion when you're gone. <laughs> that's true. She rattles around in it. Absolutely. Uh, so, on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. We have uh, some news. Uh, we have uh, our regular guests, although one of them is no longer live. Uh, Sorry, has someone passed away? And we No, Nick Damon, I believe, is uh, still with us, even though he's not with us. Um, well, he's, he's not here. I'm looking at his chair at the moment, and uh, it's... It's got a wireless mouse sitting on it and a headset at the moment. I, I don't know whether that... It looks like the stars of the BBC One O'Clock News then, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, we, uh, I, I believe Nick's uh, overseas playing with his toys again. All right, OK. Uh, so we have some of Nick that we recorded earlier. OK. Uh, we do have Shay Adam with us. Yeah. And we do have Joe Bradley with us, who is an excellent Nick substitute. Right. Uh, and Although he won't be talking about Formula One, presumably. He won't be talking about Formula One, no. He uh, will be talking about other things. And we'll also be playing uh, our wonderful new game show, which is into its second episode this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, play your cards right. Right. If you say so. Uh, shall I do a little bit of housekeeping before we kick things off? Please because do. although I don't seem to be... Uh, there's, there's been some issues with Twitter and TweetDeck uh, today. So I apologise that I can't necessarily answer tweets, but I am seeing them uh, now. Uh, hello to Rob Chalmers, to Pickled Axe, who's not listening tonight, uh, but will be listening to the podcast because he's heading to the Circuit Spa to run six cars in the Supercar Challenge in the Mazda MX-5 Cup this weekend. And then after the, those races, because he hasn't had enough, he'll be doing the graveyard shift as timekeeper for the TCR 500, which, of course, will be live uh, here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. No airfares from Brody, not too sure what time he'll be tuning in, but I will be listening uh, live 
at some stage. Uh, Matt Endine is on the road to Wales Rally GB uh, this weekend. Uh, Matt, enjoy that this weekend. And uh, presumably you'll be listening on podcasts at some stage. Uh, the, the star legend is in Port at Monterey. Carol Brinker's listening in. The Real Slim, first time listening to Spectatainment in ages. Looking forward to hearing RC Ratings' scathing verdict on the GP Ferrari Auto Strategy as creation racing were to reliability both prove that speed isn't all you need uh, to win races. Kevin Payne listening live for the first time tonight. Plenty of F1 for RC Racing. We'll have him in a little while. Plus all the usual features, of course, yes. Eric Offerdahl, no FAs, uh, listening tonight. Uh, listening in my day off, working on what looks to be... Let me have a quick look at that. Uh, new pads, discs and sensors on a 944. Oh, with telephone dial wheels as well over in Wisconsin. Uh, guards red by the look of it. And still with its bonnet badge as well. Well done. Um, still waiting to source a replacement. Uh, for mine, uh, Rob Jenner listening, uh, af- listening live after uh, after work. A new job at Silverstone Experience is brilliant, he says. Excellent, Chris Suku. Good evening. No AFAs. Crunchy salad with pancetta and croutons and a large slice of midweek motorsport as an enjoyable backdrop to sorting out stuff to uh, uh, things in the cupboards. Uh, you had a bit of pancetta tonight as well in your dinner, didn't you? Uh, uh, I shit? certainly did. Uh, Tim? Yes. Uh, hello, says Phil. Uh, good evening. Good to have his uh, company tonight. Uh, he's waiting to hear what we've got to say about Sebastian. Masterchef was on early, so no AFAs tonight, says Team Order Ring. Very good, Team Order Ring. These are all coming in to Atspectatainment, by the way, and still coming in. Uh, tuned in ready. Apologies in advance if Martin and I don't follow the six-hour coverage this weekend. We're celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary in the Big Smoke. Uh, that must be from Sarah Rigby. Yes, it is. David Tubrews checking in live uh, as well. From Stone Stauffer listening live for the first time in a long time. Uh, anywhere where US viewers can watch the upcoming Bathurst 1000. Uh, yeah, there's a... Um, She'll tell you all about that. There's a live app uh, on... Uh, it's called Superview or something like that, if I remember. Uh, and Brody's in for the live uh, for the start. Uh, he's in the garage replacing his start the motor bush on his VW variant. And Alan Prosser is waving as well. Uh, let's have it uh, Let's have it tonight on At Speculatement. As I say, if I can't uh, reply... In text, I apologise. I could do it on my phone, but oddly not on the computer uh, at the moment. But we'll give that a try. Uh, Coming up to ten past eight, shuffle the papers. Let's have the first big story in a packed programme tonight on Midweek Motorsport. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And where are we starting tonight then, Tim? Uh, We're going to start in America. Oh. Hooray! <laughs> no, aren't we supposed to go... Uh, and we've got Shea Adam here. Hello, Shea. And we've got Shea Adam hello. here. See, and she's just <laughs> on the, the hot key. key so, we, so, hello, Shea. Hello. See? Every time. Not a problem. Superview is the way <laughs> to go uh, for Bathurst 1000, isn't it? You listen to... You watch that. Oh. And, and, you, and you can uh, uh, then do view on demand as well, can't you? Yeah, it's like... 
40 US dollars for the year and you sign up, you can watch all the races, all the qualifying sessions. It is fantastic, worth every penny. And uh, I, I very gladly every year hand over money for that. And I'm not somebody who's normally used to paying for stuff. So I'm, I will admit to that. It is worth it. Right, okay. Uh, what's the big news for Shea, from Shea tonight then, Tim? Well, first of all, she's just admitted uh, going through her life shoplifting uh, on a <laughs> massive scale. No, no, no. Quite, quite the contrary, Tim. I have free cable in my house. I have like all these things that I, I don't necessarily need to pay for extra ah. things, but I fork over the forty dollars a year for Superview gladly. I'm, I'm begging them to take my money. Mm. <laughs> uh, you say it's a year. If we uh, start now, will that go for twelve calendar months or just until the end of this season? That's a good question. until the end of the season. But you can watch back to every race and every session that you've missed thus far. It's yeah. worth doing. It's pretty cool. Uh, well, in this country, we don't need to because we get on television. Yeah, yeah it's the same weekend as we're at Petit Le Monde, though. So yeah, we'll, but be, it's, we'll be watching it's on shoes. Exactly, we'll be exactly. watching on your computer. Exactly. I've, I've got the iPad ready to go. We can start it at the end, and then uh, somewhere in there, we can pull up my ESPN app and watch Formula One. We can just have a, an all-nighter party. Yeah, sounds sounds great to me. Anyway, that's not what we've got uh, you on for uh, tonight. But by the way, in case you missed that, it is Sarah and Martin Rigby's 30th wedding anniversary uh, this weekend. Sarah ad- admitted that that's where they're going to be in London. So we wish you all the best, Sarah and Martin, and a, and a big happy anniversary from the whole collective. I feel that uh, that a lot of love coming towards you for this weekend. Uh, obviously, you'll be going to uh, the the Raiders Bears game at Tottenham Stadium uh, this weekend on Sunday. Go Raiders. Go Raiders, probably not. Right, where How do you, do you want get to... to be a Raiders fan, Shay? Uh, long story, but basically my dad threatened to kick me out of the house when I was five, and I've been a Raiders fan ever since. <laughs> Bill, Shay's dad is a Raiders fan. Right. Yeah. And has been forever. I was cheering for the Lions, and the Lions were beating the Raiders, and he told me I could leave if I wasn't a Raiders fan. This was at age five. Yep, and I went into my closet and packed my suitcase full of my favorite stuffed animals. And mom came in and said, just cheer for the Raiders. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I actually got interested in football, and ever since then I have. Have you ever lived in Oakland? Pardon? Have you ever lived in Oakland? Negative. I've never even been to a game in Oakland. No, but you've been to Las Vegas, which is where they're going to end up. So. Nope, nope, I've never been to Vegas. I've already been to the stadium. <laughs> and it wasn't even complete when I was there. Uh, right, shall we move on and do motorsport? Where uh, would you like yes. to start with Shea? Uh, Mazda have said something. <laughs> yes. Mazda have yes, said quite have. a lot. Um, I don't think it was the world's best kept motorsport secret, uh, no. in, in fairness, Shea. But the news came out. Now, you may think that this was a pure coincidence or not, but what is parked outside of Hindhoff Towers at the moment? Oh, would that be a Nissan 370Z Nismo? Oh, no, wait, sorry, that's outside my house right now. Uh, that would be a Mazda 3, would it not, John? 370 Nismo is what we had in Bathurst all those years ago. Uh, it uh, would be a new <laughs> Mazda 3 in dark grey metallic with black wheels with the Skyactiv-X uh, mm-hmm. compression ignition petrol engine uh, parked oh. outside. It mysteriously turned up on Monday. Um, oh, it just found its way to you, did apparent, it? Apparently so. And yesterday, we had this uh, very, very interesting announcement from Mazda in the US of their new TCR car. Yes, 
a turbocharged four-cylinder that will produce somewhere in the region of 350 horsepower for the Mazda 3 TCR car. Now, it's interesting because the six-speed paddle shift transmission, non-negotiable. So at TCR, we are used to seeing the, um, the automatic transmissions. But I'm curious to see how the Mazda transmission stacks up against the Audi transmission because there's two different variables of Audi that you right. can go with and everybody has leaned towards the DSG. So I want to see how much more quickly the Mazda can react than the Audi. It's going to be an interesting battle. Yeah, you've got... Because you have got the uh, uh, sequential and the paddle shift options on all the VAG cars. So yeah. the, the Cupra, which we don't see in the US, the uh, uh, Audi sedan, which we do, the RS3, and the VW Golf, which we do see. And, and the choice is there to have sequential or DSG. Most people go for DSG. There is a variety of reasons why you would go for one or other. It is a sequential transmission, as you said. Brian Ortiz, 2019 Global MX-5 Cup champion, uh, is the first driver. The car mm-hmm. will make its race debut uh, at the four-hour Michelin Pilot Endurance Challenge before the Rolex 24, that's the uh, Friday race. So we're going to see it at the Raw, uh, of course. That's at least one car. And there is a bit of a shock for me, Shea. Do you know what the shock is? Uh, go on. That it's the five-door hatchback, not oh. the four-door sedan. We haven't seen the four-door sedan body version of the new MX-3 yet. Uh, but I felt sure that they would go for the sedan version rather than the hatchback because there's some aerodynamic advantages uh, to be yeah. had there. But it looks good, it, doesn't it? It's more in line with the cars that we've seen currently running in TCR, particularly in the Michelin Pilot Challenge, because the Alpha is a hatchback, mm. the Hondas are hatchbacks. Um, I'm trying to picture the Audi. It has that, the trunk on that's it. That's the so trunk, the tr- yeah. Yeah, that is the sedan version. And the Audi did take the championship last year, but it does have competition this year. The Hyundai, of course, is the other car. That's a hatchback. So maybe it's just trending towards hatchback being the optimum car. Maybe Mazda knows something that we haven't yet seen. Mm. Uh, They've spent a little time waiting for this car because they were waiting for the new body style for the street car, which is, as I say, sitting outside. So... That is, uh, that's a car you'll be able to hear the real-world road test on uh, in a little while here on the Radio Show Limit Network of uh, channels. So we know the Michelin Pilot Challenge, but presumably open for business as far as anybody else is concerned for the Hankook 24-hour series, the Nürburgring, the VLN series, World, uh, world Touring Cars, which is now called World TCR, isn't it? Um, basically, order books are open. There's more than 30 different series where TCR are eligible to run in their championship. So, yeah, we're going to be seeing a lot of these Mazda 3s all around the world in just about every form of competition. But how cool is it that they get to debut globally with IMSA? I'm really proud of that. And not in Seoul Red, launched not in Seoul Red, which is, again, very unusual. Yeah, um, we have seen them run this gunmetal grade before, though. Remember, they did it on the prototypes. Was that two years ago now, where they had one in the full oh, yes. metal well, and then one in the gunmetal? So they have they have done that before. Um, uh, this could have just been a launch color too. We don't know what colors they'll actually run in the race in in the debut weekend, and I'm sure that sponsorship will have something to do with that as well. 
Uh, can't wait to see that car out on the track. We'll be at the Raw, of course, so we'll be able to uh, give you some idea of, of uh, how that car is uh, performing. Long Road Racing, the guys who have produced the Global MX-5 Cup cars alongside uh, Mazda, what used to be called Mazda Speed, um, this, so have uh, designed and built and developed uh, along with Mazda's design headquarters in Irvine, California, the Mazda 3 TCR. Those guys, if you cut them open, uh, they bleed so red, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, they do. And and on that note, actually, the Global MX-5 Cup calendar came out for next year. And Alana Long, who we lost this past summer, is being honoured. The race that's taking place yes. at Road America bearing her name. And uh, that definitely brought a tear to the eye to see. But uh, Mazda, with a lot of positives coming out this last week. Uh, so we'll wait for that. Uh, whilst we're talking about effectively IMSA, and that is uh, IMSA, uh, let's talk about some IMSA news. And we've seen now, um, and by the way, I'll tell you now, next week we'll start our coverage of Motul Petit Le Mans on Wednesday. We've got uh, a special programme that will be coming, uh, at least in part, from uh, one Porsche drive at Atlanta. And we'll have our full Motul Petit Le Mans preview there. But there's a few things on the entry list that we've got to talk about. And notably, we will have an extra uh, GT Le Mans car. Reese is back, mm. and for the first time since 2016, we're going to have the GTE Pro winners from the 24 Hours of Le Mans, all three of them running together in the same car at Motul Petit Le Mans. So that's going to be really, really fun. I'm so happy that Reese is coming back to run in the race. Uh, we've got James Collado, we've got Alessandro Pierguidi, and then last year's GTD winner in a Ferrari, Daniel Serra, uh, running for Reese, a team that has a great history at Petit Le Mans, so they're definitely going to be troubling things. But, John, an extra team means that we're going to have nine GTLM runners, which means that there's one more point potentially to be gained or lost, depending on the finishing order yeah. of the number 912 Porsche. They already could not afford to finish last and have their teammates win the race. Now they can't afford to finish eighth or ninth. There's two positions for them to fall into. So it's going to be a little bit more pressure on the GTLM points leaders when we come into Petit. But it should be noted that going back 10 years through Petit Le Mans history, the GT points leader coming in has left with the championship. Oh, really? Yep. But on the flip side of that, to give Nick Tandy, Patrick Pile, and Fred Makovecki a little bit of a confidence boost, they've won the race six times. In the other car, there's only been one podium finish between the three drivers. Oh, really? Yep. So, bit interesting. Very good. Uh, and uh, the there's been a little bit of has, haven't there been a little bit more shuffling round of drivers as well. We sort of touched on this um, with extra drivers obviously getting pulled in. We know the Porsche drivers that'll be uh, Jam Jam and Fred Macchia Vecchi, uh, Jam Jam in the 912, Marco that's Matthew Jamine sorry, uh, and uh, <laughs> Marco Fred Macchia Vecchi uh, in the nine. 11 and what's uh what's occurring with other drivers coming in do we know um just it's sort of a base overview because i know you want to hit on it more next week when mm. people won't have short-term memory loss and then they'll forget everything in the week in between because i know i'll do that too um mike conway back with mustang sampling racing really glad to see that he's back in the car we've got yunkos racing returning to prototype for the first time since that crash at uh, canadian tire ah, motorsport right. park knocked them out 
They're doing a shakedown test tomorrow at, so where is that going to be taking place? I was just staring at it. Oh, Putnam Park. I don't actually know where that is, but they're going to be doing a shakedown test of the new car. So good to see them welcoming them back into the fray. Um, we talked a little bit about Reese coming back in and in GTD, we've got Montplast by land continuing their sweep of the, uh, North American endurance championship, the Michelin North American endurance championship as it is this year, they've run Daytona and Sebring and of course Watkins Glen. And we've also got PPM in their Lamborghini coming back once more. Mm. The only big thing on the GTD entry list that really caught my attention, though, John, was Marco Seafried jumping into the Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini. He hasn't driven a Lamborghini this year, but he's driven Porsches and he's driven a bunch of other things. Marco is a really solid choice for that organization going forward because Lamborghini is still looking for the Manufacturers Championship in terms of GTD. That's a really solid pick. Uh, Putnam Park, by the way, it's is, in Indianapolis. It's in Greencastle, oh, Indiana, sense. actually. Yeah, um, okay, Indiana. Yeah. If, you, if you head out of Indianapolis, driving towards um, St. Louis, it's on the right-hand side. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay. Seeing as their shop is based there. Ah, uh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, they're based out of Indy. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, hello, uh, and it's hanged off with uh, Shea Adam and uh, Tim Gray uh, at the moment on the line. And I believe we're about to add Joe Bradley. Oh, are we? Right, okay, hang on, let me catch up with that. I'm trying to do too many different things at once. Uh, let's do that and... Uh, Give us a couple of other stories, Tim, while, while I'm doing that, because I've got to try and work out how to add him to here. OK, well, still to come, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, World Rally. We're going to be talking about Formula One, World Superbikes, World Endurance Championship. Uh, we'll be previewing the TCR 500, the Spa, this weekend, and the second hour of this show with Paul Trusswell, who's going to be there. Uh, we also will hear a lot more from Shay because Shay's going to be talking about some IndyCar stuff and some NASCAR stuff. Uh, and of course our game show um, so lots more to come on the show uh, and uh, don't forget you can keep in touch with us via the uh, not working particularly well today Twitter no it's not at Specutainment uh, is the um, Twitter handle that you want to address your comments to and we might read them we might not but uh, not because we don't want to just because uh, Twitter broke uh, early hours of this morning, and it's still not fully back again. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. Uh, and unfortunately, can't get in touch with Joe Bradley at the moment, so we'll... Have, have, have you read uh, where he is? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, not getting through to those guys at the moment. So shall we push on, and we'll get those guys uh, on a bit later. I think we might have lost Shea as well. Shea, are you there? Nope. Uh, we've lost share as well uh, at the moment. So let's crack on with some other bits and pieces. Where would you like to go to next? Shall we talk a bit of bikes? Uh, no. To... If uh, Have we got Shay back? Uh, I don't know. Shay, you still there? Nope. Gone. Interesting. Uh, well, while we do that, uh, let's move on to bikes then. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something that only you've seen, John? Oh, really? Yes. So I'm doing. I am doing this completely on me, Todd. 
But I believe uh, that World Superbikes happened at the weekend. It and did. we crowned a champion. Yeah, and we did. And, and he was not called Batista. It, no, he wasn't. And he wasn't really ever going to be, let's be honest, because... Well, five rounds in, he might have been. Well, should have been at that point. But from then on, the... How can we call it? Well, Avaro Bautista's championship challenge crumbled uh, in a way that only Tottenham Hotspur could understand about in the last 30 minutes of last night's Champions League. Go and look it up um, if you didn't see what has happened. And it was, uh, I mean, it was a demolition from being nearly 90 points up after the first four rounds. It disappeared. And Jonathan Ray gets his fifth championship at the weekend. Uh, Nick's favourite top rack, uh, Raz Gatlogview, uh, did win two of the three races and was looking good in the third. First race, by the way, was in horrible weather uh, and at uh, Magnicore and was uh, top rack was brilliant. Second race, he was outstanding in the dry. Third race, he had a little bit of a bobble and Bautista ran at the back and fell off. So that basically handed Jonathan Ray the title. It was going to be Ray. It was always going to be Ray uh, after the falling apart of that challenge, as we mentioned earlier on, uh, from Alvaro Bautista. As it stands now, it's 5.44 to 4.15. It's not even close. Alex Lowe's is in third position for Yamaha. So that's Kawasaki Ducati, then Yamaha on 2.79 with Lowe's. Michael van der Mark, who's had a victory this season already, on 2.74, 2.60 for top rack. Leon Haslam, a disappointing 2.39 for Kawasaki. Um, also at the weekend, didn't we see that top rack got a... Uh, confirmed for a new ride for next year. Yes, he's switching to Patty Yamaha for his championship challenge, which is an interesting one. Uh, the Yamaha, best of the Yamahas was Alex Lowe's this year for uh, Yamaha, but well behind uh, in terms of the championship challenge. Kawasaki uh, were well ahead on the uh, Manufacturers and Teams Championship ahead of uh, Ducati and Yamaha in third position. And Manicore looking great, by the way. It's a long time since I've seen racing at Manicore, Tim, and it looked absolutely fantastic. Wonderful. It's still in the middle of nowhere, though, and I really never want to go there again. I've never been. Yeah, you've missed nothing. And, and obviously, I've never driven round past it because you would never be going past it no. on your way to anywhere, which is the, uh, the Possibly issue. Uh, a uh, motorway uh, lay-by on the other side of uh, Manicor, but that's probably it, uh, regardless of what direction you're coming from. It is... Uh, it's, imagine driving from Paris to Lyon and going four hours out of your way and finding nothing. Ah, Lyon C my favourite places. Uh, have we go. got Shea back? No, we haven't. And we're not going to get her back anytime soon either. Oh dear. No. That's unfortunate. No, nope, let's push on just me and you then. Uh, we do have Joe Bradley. Oh, do we? Hello, Joe. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, everybody. Oh, a bit close to his mic there. Back off your mic a bit there, Joseph. I'll try. Thank How's you. about that? Yes, and Tim will turn you up so everybody can hear you. Okay. Uh, Seems like only a few hours since I saw you, Joe. Probably because it was. <laughs> Lovely breakfast, kind of. Thank you. I do try. Yes. That mushroom omelette worked out well, I thought. I thought it was very nice, very yes. well. 
you are very trying. <laughs> uh, now, the reason Joe's here is to play our brand new game show. Well, that's why you didn't tell me why, why I was on tonight. Uh, well, I thought uh, John would have uh, told you all about it over breakfast and uh, no. you'd have spent the day revising, but clearly You've not. met Hindoff, no. Um, however, uh, the person you're competing against is supposed to be Shay, and uh, all right. Shay has uh, disappeared into the ether. Well, so do I get a buy? Do I get a buy? So you've won. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> Without answering any questions. No, we're not going to allow that. No, hang, to... if you hang on a second, I'm going to, if you explain how it goes on, I'm going to try and get Shay in a different way. I'll tell you what, I'm going to play the theme music. Right, because you, you just want to do that anyway. It's Play Your Carts Right. Very good. I see what you did there. Uh, which is based on uh, the uh, TV game show Play Your Cards Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, are you familiar with the format of the game? It's hi- Isn't that the Bruce Forsyth one? It is. The higher or lower? That's yeah. the one, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, have we got Shay back yet? I'm going to find out in about a second. Shay, can you hear us? Probably not then. In that case, mm. uh, let me keep going. Let me let me explain the rules. So, uh, Joe and Shay will answer a series of questions, <laughs> uh, which all have numerical answers, and whoever answers a question sec- uh, first has to guess the answer, and then the uh, opponent has to say whether they think the answer is actually higher or lower. Uh, and that gives you control of the game. You then turn over up to five cards uh, to win the prize. And you just have to guess whether the next card you turn over is higher or lower than the previous one. How could it be more simple? Uh, the cards have been uh, uh, shuffled. By well, we a... need to answer a question as well because I mentioned uh... that. Yeah, he did mention that. What? The question. You, you you answered the question to take command no, of no, the card no, no. turning. No, we need to answer a question. If you let me finish my sentence, gentlemen, right. we need to answer a question from listeners many of whom pointed out in the first round of Play Your Cards Right that five queens came out uh, of of the deck. <laughs> Paul Dunk noticed that. Uh, and obviously that, that couldn't happen. However, if you remember, Tim, what happens between each round of questions? Between each round of questions, the Dolly Dealers shuffle cards and redeal. Yes, exactly Simple right. as that. And that's how we got five queens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh also, uh, you'll notice that uh, if you listen to uh, our debut edition of Play Your Carts Right, uh, we didn't have a winner um, because uh, both contestants were so inept. However, <laughs> subsequently... I, I would like to say it mainly because the cards came out in, in your random card generator <laughs> was so random that it turned... And you were so scrupulously fair, in fairness, that you wouldn't say that something different to what came up on the screen in front of you. Why would I want to cheat? No, no. Uh, however, one of the contestants later admitted to counting cards, and That's counting cards is cheating in any casino. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. 
You'd be thrown out of any casino for counting yeah, you've cards. Got, you've got to admit it first, though. Why did he admit that? Why, Hindoff, why did you admit counting cards? Well, because people had already pointed it out. That there was five queens? Yes. Yes. Hard not to do, then. Uh, so Declan Brennan goes through to the next round by default. Oh, he's been disqualified. Ah, Protest. Not, not happy with that. And, Write the uh, check, Hindoff. Write the check. Uh, we'll uh, find out who goes through between Joe and Shay. Uh, well, that's just me, then I'll get away. As soon as we get Shay on the line again. Not gonna, you're not going to get Shay back on the line so, unless you get her up, Tim. Sorry. Uh, let's have a go at that, then. OK. Or like, you could just, just have Joe play ourselves, Why don't you just have Joe play me rather than waste time? Because we've got too much stuff to go in the show tonight. You've already been disqualified once, John. Well, I can play, I can play again. People can count Hindhoffs instead of counting Queens. You could represent someone else. Yeah, John. I could be their proxy. You could represent Shea. Yeah, absolutely right. Pretty aversion. How you got a wig? I... Have you got your wig collection there, Hindhoff? No, you put a long-haired wig on. Nobody would know. Absolutely. We would know. Okay. Meantime, shall we just do some more news? Shall we go to Formula One news now? Uh, no, let's say hello again to Shay Adam. Hi. There you're back, I can, Shay. I can hear you again, Tim. And uh, Joe, can you hear Shay? Yes, hi, Shay. Hi, Joe. We are pitted against one another. Uh-oh. Mm-mm. Right, well, as uh, Joe uh, managed to get here before, Shay, uh, you can take the first question. Who, me? Yes. Okay. So question one. The 1996 FIA karting champion was Fernando Alonso. But how many podium finishes did he have in Formula One? How many podium finishes did Fernando Alonso have in Formula One? Um, I would go as far as to say 360. Shay, higher or lower than 360? Lower. Lower. Shay's correct. It was only 97 podium finishes. Uh, so let's turn over Shay's first card, and it's a jack. Uh, now, you can keep that jack, or you can change it for something else. I'll keep it. You're going to keep it. Okay, so next card, higher or lower than a jack? Lower. It's a six. Uh, higher or lower? No. Higher. It's an ace. Higher or lower? Uh... Is it acting as a Ace is higher high. than a... It's the highest okay. card. Okay, then lower, then lower. That's a seven. And uh, uh, higher or lower than a seven? Lower. Lower. It's a queen, Shay. Oh! Uh, scores nothing there. Uh, but Shay does get to answer the next question, which is about Alan Prost, who was uh, FIA CIK karting champion in 1973 and subsequently uh, went on to become a multiple Formula One world champion. But how many races did he start in Formula One? Mm. 167. Joe, higher or lower than 167? Higher. Higher. Joe's correct. It was 199. Oh. He couldn't have done one more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he entered 202, but uh, didn't start three of them. Oh. Uh, so, Joe, your first card is yes. uh, an ace. Do you want to keep uh, the ace or change that? Yeah, you keep no, I that. think we'll keep that, yes. Tim, and go lower. And go lower. Lower than ace, it's a jack. And we'll go lower again. That's a seven. 
Oh, I hate a seven. This is a this can go anywhere, couldn't it? You know. Okay, then let's go higher. It's a jack. Oh, excellent. Uh, lower. Uh, that's a nine, and uh, Joe scores our first points of, uh, of the game. That's great. On to the next question, and this one is for Joe. Mm-hmm. How many times was the Supercart World Championship held on the Le Mans Bugatti circuit? Ooh. The Supercart, so that's 250s. Yes, the one that Martin um, did. Yes. Um, I'll go three. Three. Shay, higher or lower than three? Higher. Higher. Shay's correct. It was eight. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so let's take a look at your card. Uh, it's an eight. Do you want to keep the eight or try and change it for something better? Uh, let's keep it. Why not? Keep the eight. Higher or lower than an eight then, Shay? Let's go lower. Uh, it's a five. Ha. Uh, higher. It's an eight. Higher. That's a queen. Lower. It's a three. And Shay gets onto the scoreboard as well. Wow. The equaliser. And Shay gets the next <laughs> question, which is about uh, Charles Leclerc, who split up with his girlfriend this week. Oh, 2011 Shane. FIA CIK World Casting Champion. Uh, he went on to dominate Formula 2. But how many points did he score in Formula 2? Hmm... <laughs> 426. That would be very impressive. Uh, <laughs> oh, you didn't mean full career. Uh, lower. Lower. It was lower. Only 282. He only did one season of Formula 2. Oh, okay. Okay. Didn't uh, Let's take a look at Joe's card. It's a 10. Do you want to um, keep the 10? Oh, it's a tricky one, that, Tim. Um, uh, let's keep it. Keep it. And, and, let, and let's go lower. Lower than 10, it's a 2. Good card. Let's go higher. Uh, you've got a 5. Let's go higher. That's a 4. Oh, you are kidding me. Uh, final question then for Joe. The 1986 karting ch- uh, FIA karting ch- CIK karting champion was Fabrizio De Simone, who went on to race in the Italian Touring Car Championship. How many races did he win in his ITCC career? This is my question to you. Yes. Uh, give us the name of the driver. Fabrizio De Simone. And how many wins did races he get in did he the win? Italian Touring Car Championship? Oh, heavens. Uh, 22. Shay, higher or lower? Mm, higher. That's wrong. He only won six Ooh. races in the Italian Touring Car Championship. <laughs> so, Joe, let's take a look at your card. It's a queen. Do you want to keep the queen or lose the yeah, queen? Yeah, let's keep the queen. Keep let's the queen. keep the queen. Uh, higher or lower than the queen? Lower. It's a two. Higher. It's a seven, which you hate. <laughs> I'm going to go higher. Higher than a seven. It's a four. Oh, there you go. That's why I hate sevens. And that means that at the end of tonight's game, we once again have a draw. Yes, Both champions. Do we have a play- do we have a penalty shootout? Uh, yes, but not tonight. All right. Okay. Oh, you mean I've got to play this game again? Sadly, <laughs> yes. Damn! I tried my damnedest to lose this. I can assure you. I think Shay was trying equally hard to lose. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh. 
so uh, that's uh, play your cards right over for another week. Um, and still haven't had a winner. And we still haven't had a winner on the night. No, indeed. Uh, now, who are we holding on to? We might as well hold on to them both. Okay, where are oh, we going really? next? Um, Shay wants to talk about NASCAR, don't you, Shay? Oh, Ooh, yes. yeah. Oval. It was the Roval at the weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway, a redesigned Roval. Joe and I, I watched it, uh, most of it live on Sunday night, and Joe and I watched it again uh, earlier this week. Uh, first of all, both of you, uh, before we get on to what happened, it's a quality circuit. Uh, Joe Bradley, slight changes from uh, how they've run it in the past, and it races really well. Well, we can remember when the LMS ran on the Charlotte Roval. Looked nothing like that. Well, since then, it's had a complete revamp. And the first iteration of the revamp, great job, great job at Charlotte. The back chicane was virtually a straight, you could just straight line it. And that caused all sorts of problems in whatever race there. And since the first iteration of the revamp, they've redesigned the back chicane on the back straight. It's now, it looks a lot like the bus stop chicane at Daytona, where you've got a, a, a more of a deviation Tighter. left and right, yeah. and then right left, yeah, with an acceleration zone it in the second part of It hasn't got the long bit the... in the middle either, either. That's the no, it's thing, a, so the long bit's quite shorter. Um, from a spectator's point of view, view what a place to spectate i mean the the front straight right opposite the pits you've got a chicane complex there you can see because it's an oval you can see pretty much the whole track but i think the most impressive thing that they've done with charlotte is the elevation changes they've in, they've, they've incorporated ele- elevation in the infield mm. how they've done that i mean i'm not a civil engineer but a hey, great job and doesn't it race well i would love to see something like the IMSA series run a night race there i think Jordan Taylor posted something quite recently about that. And I think, you know, I'm yeah, a well, massive he, advocate of that. He he tested the Cadillac there some time ago. Uh, right. And the, the onboard footage that was shown was from the old setup. Shea, uh, the, uh, the, the elevation changes were interesting because there were some off-camera corners there. Those big, uh, heavy built for going round, turning left mostly, NASCAR's looked a real handful there. Run of five-speed <laughs> gearboxes. Uh, yeah, and, but... And, and, you know, it was very, very... In- I, I loved it. I thought it, I thought it looked great. Five-speed gearboxes, but no, no clutch needed to change gears, so they just sort of jam it in every time that they go back and forth. So that in itself takes a little bit out of it, but that's, an, that's a stock car thing. I mean, that, that's nothing new to this year. Um, it's great though it's such a good track i think i'm pretty sure in saying that fewer drivers didn't crash over the course of the week than did and had to then get their car fixed or go to a backup car whatever the problem was but it was just so much fun to watch the whole thing and uh we ultimately at the end of the day have four drivers who do not get to continue their quest for the chase for the cup for the whatever whatever dex says um so it is newman almirola eric jones and kurt bush out of the playoffs and not moving on to dover talladega in kansas for the next round of 12 uh hello to guflamon uh, internet's just come back here uh it- who's camping in the cold peak district after a great day walking mobile signal has magically appeared uh, so he's listening 
uh, live. A uh, number of people talking about our top story, the Mazda uh, being the only US built TCR, right turn lover uh, is asking, question mark. Uh, the, the, the race car is built in the US. Uh, the... I think I'm right in saying the Velosta, the Hyundai Veloster share was designed in the US but built outside of the US for Hertha Autosport. I don't think Hertha built that car. Nope, you're correct. Yeah. It's imported. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, I think that probably is the uh, the only US built TCR car. Um so if you mean, and Jim Gallagher has said, if you mean US built in the sense that the stock cars convert to rates based, uh, Mazda has no US manufacturing facilities. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. They do not. Uh, but the street car uh, uh, is built outside of the US. Uh, back to, uh, and the reason I'm talking about the TCR is because I think the race share that would work the best on that Charlotte Roval, and we heard Scott Atherton talking uh, in Ask Atherton after the State of the Series a couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple of months ago now, about Michelin Pilot Challenge looking and being asked about, they are being, IMS are being asked about Michelin Pilot Challenge being a standalone headlining event. I think Michelin Pilot Challenge on the Charlotte Roval, uh, possibly racing under the lights uh, as a headline act or maybe with something else, I think GT4s and TCRs around there in a mixed category race for a two or a four hour race, I think it would be fantastic. Yes, yes, please. Uh, pretty, pretty, please. But I think given what we saw at Daytona this year, and Joe was there for that, wasn't their best showing in that four-hour race. We didn't see the most responsible driving, and we had a lot of cautions to kick the year mm. off. So perhaps we would have to settle it in a bit further in the season when people didn't have all the, oh, oh, we get to go racing again. We've been off for three months, and we get to go racing again, and it's at a world-famous racetrack, and this is so much fun. We, we would have to calm down that uh, golden retrieverness that often comes with racing on rovals. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that's the main reason why you saw that. I think you talked about herding cats there, Shea, and I'm not sure you'd ever get a grid of Michelin Cup uh, cars calming down on the shot just because they're on the Charlotte Oval mid-season. I think the nature of the track is would that would probably it's a good call Hindoff actually a really good call because it's you would get a lot of slipstreaming on the banking it would all be about the momentum coming out onto the banking I think it would be it would be a very very technical track and mm. how you would set the car up for that kind of compromise <laughs> of straight line speed over mechanical well, grip and the really slow stuff I that, think that would be a fascinating competition but that's the that's the joy particularly. Yeah of a TCR car. TCR, and the reason I say Michelin Pilot rather than the WeatherTech is, whilst I would love to see the prototypes around there, I think the speed differentials between them and the GT3 cars would be too great. But what I like about the two uh, categories in Michelin Pilot here is that the GT4, the grand sport cars, at the front of the field, they're very quick in a straight line, but they don't have an awful lot of downforce. Whereas yeah. the TCRs have a host of downforce and are quicker <laughs> in the twisty bits. So what you'd see is two sets of cars making their lap times in very, very different ways, which would mean the GT4s would be able to drag out around uh, the TCRs on the long bits of the NASCAR oval. Whereas on the infield, the TCRs would be super quick. I think it'd be brilliant racing. Yeah, and, and particularly given that there's more intricacy, more technicality, 
more twisty bits, to put it simply, on the infield of the Charlotte Roval than there are at Daytona. Mm. So if you swapped it out, it would make for a more competitive race. That's true. Mm. Yeah. So Sorry. let's let's hope it happens. Uh, LA Filipponi says Michelin Pilot Sports Car Challenge supporting NASCAR GT4 TCR on the Roval <laughs> at night. You can't fill us up with hope like that. <laughs> um, I mean, people have talked about IndyCar, uh, and Joe, mm-hmm. we watched some on board yeah. Joseph yeah. Newgarten. Um, Racing, uh, doing a, what was called a demonstration lap. I don't think he was under 100 mile an hour the whole time he was there. He certainly wasn't under about 10,000 revs, was he? No, he was. He was using the car, wasn't he? He was. In fact, some of the uh, turn one uh, comes to mind straight away. You could actually hear the, the tires squeal underneath them. So no, he wasn't hanging about. And. The thought of an Indy car, it's kind of like around the houses race without the houses, isn't it, on the yeah. Charlotte Oval? And you've got long straights. I mean, you go to a, a street course, Long Beach, uh, Detroit. You have got long straightaways in Indy car, uh, compromised with lots of tight, twisty, uh, complex uh, parts of that track. And I think, I, I can't see any reason why it's wide enough for Indy car, isn't it? I mean... The infield, very well done. Um, no, I, I, I race anything with that. Let's try Formula One. <laughs> no, let's I was going to say, Joe, <laughs> uh, on the TV, the infield section didn't look very wide at all. Oh, it's wide enough, it. though, Tim, in comparison to other places. Well, they were off over the you blue line on like, that middle straight, weren't well, they? Well, you just have to look at Barber, for instance. To you know, Barber's a really narrow track, that IndyCar race on very comfortably. I, I don't think you it's... You don't see any overtaking at Barber. Much as I love Barber, IndyCar mm, is not the greatest uh, race that ever happens Agree. there. That, that's because the slow bits aren't really that slow. Whereas in Charlotte, at Charlotte, in the, on that uh, Roval configuration, you have got some very long and hard braking areas. I think I read today that uh, IndyCar have ruled out uh, going to Charlotte in the near future, so... Uh, We'll all just have to have oh, it right. in our dreams, but uh, maybe I'll, I'll, maybe the Michelin I'll, Pilot Challenge can go there. I'd love to I'll see you. I'll, I'll tell you how it goes on the sim. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Uh, <laughs> b- before we leave USA News, we had Jeremy Shaw talking about the NTT IndyCar Championship. Joseph Newgarden, reigning uh, champion, current champion. Uh, second time he's won the championship, was doing that demo lap. Uh, and we heard him saying how difficult his choices share had been for Team USA scholarship this yeah, and uh, how great the guys were at the shootout. Uh, well, yesterday, finally, the choice has been made. And uh, we know the two young men, 16-year-old and 19-year-old, uh, coming to the UK to do a couple of big Formula Ford events. The yeah. latest in a long line of Team USA scholarship, uh, scholarship graduates. Names for the future. We have Josh Green, who races in the F1600 series with Team Pelfrey, a very, very good organization. And somebody that we've been watching this year in the IMSA Prototype Challenge, Scott Huffaker. So two young men that Jeremy has uh, backed for this year. And we were joking about it at Marion's at Laguna. It was John just saying, Jeremy, are you ever going to announce it? Are you ever going to tell us who you picked? And he's saying... Well, I have to pick them first. So a very tough crop, which means that we expect even more from these two, that they were the ones that he went with. An extraordinary year. We were talking about with Jeremy uh, a week ago. Uh, you weren't on 
uh, that short. But a clean sweep of the NTT IndyCar Series, Indy Lights presented by Cooper Tyres, Indy Pro 2000 Championship presented by Cooper Tyres, and the Cooper Tyres USF 2000 Championship titles. Also, I've got a feeling they won another title. They won the USF3 uh, title as well. Or was it the F4 title? I can't remember uh, which one it was. I mean, just an extraordinary year. And Jeremy has been picking some great great talent but he said last week which i thought was very interesting that the road to indy the ladder championship that mazda has supported and now cooper tires continue to support is the reason that there are so many good young road racing drivers there from the states it's true and and there's so many good drivers who perhaps don't reach the pinnacle that they're going for being indycar who then we see for example on the entry list for petit le mans all this talent coming up through and it's it's being filtered into the right places and they're getting the proper exposure. It's just so heartwarming to see this, which let's face it, it waned a little bit in the last five, ten years, now coming back on super strong. And I just can't wait to see what the next crop of Jeremy's boys managed to do. And the great thing about this is the prize, of course, which involves, uh, in the case of Scott Hathaker, leaving his uh, home in California, coming to Kent in late October, uh, where it will be cold and wet and get mm. dark very early. Uh, <laughs> but he does get to race a Formula Ford car twice, so that's great. Mm, very good. Uh, we'll keep an eye on those and an ear up for their names. Uh, before we end the... I'm fir- sure we'll be talking to them before we uh, before they return home. Um, yeah. November. Well, we, it's, it's tradition that we have... Uh, a, a quick chat with them uh, before they head back. It, it is consecutive weekends as well. The Walter Hayes is the weekend after the Formula Ford Festival this year, so they will be very busy. Uh, before we let certainly Shea go, uh, let's have uh, a quick word about Australia's great race. Had uh, Krilzy on talking about the build-up to it. Uh, it's a couple of weekends time, uh, but there's been a bit of testing going on uh, for the uh, Super Cheat Autos Bathurst 1000, the next round in the Virgin Australia Supercars Championship. And the uh, and Alexander Rossi uh, cut short his tests uh, today. <laughs> yeah, he uh, made a little bit of a whoopsie. They've been out at Winton in uh, Victoria. Rossi and James Hintcliffe sharing a car for Walkinshaw Andretti United Sports Car. Uh, How odd, by the way, is it to see James Hinchcliffe in the blue of Napa, boom and yellow of Napa Auto Parts? No, 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 no. I'm okay with that. The fact that he's wearing two red shoes. <laughs> Hinch always has a green shoe for go and a red shoe for stop. So how is he going to drive the car? I mean, yeah, that, that messed with me more than anything else. But the two of them in matching fire suits... Not exactly the best look either, but it was a, a slight off at turn four at Winton with Rossi behind the wheel. Uh, the car went in rear end first. The team has elected instead of to run uh, to fix the car at the track and just sort of, you know, put a Band-Aid on it to let them go out and do one more day of testing. They're going to take the car back to the shop and get it repaired before it has to send out to our favorite track, Mount Panorama, for Australia's great race. And the full entry list for that is now out and published I can't wait. It's going to be such a good one. Uh, yes, I, I, that's a good point, actually. Uh, the uh, the full entry list, the, the last few pieces have been uh, locked in. Uh, and Jonathan Webb will be 
uh, driving the Technos, Techno Autosports uh, yeah. Holden uh, with Jack LeBrock. I think that was the was that the last was that the last seat to to get that in. Yes, and and that doesn't really come as a surprise because uh, Jonathan, who is the owner of the team and has driven before in the past, winning the race, I think it was 2016 with SVG. So he's a really solid shoe to have in that seat. But it's going to be the first time that we see the great duo in the Triple Eight, Craig Lowndes and Jamie Wincup paired together. Oh, good Lord. What happened the last time those two drove together? Uh, that was this year, and they finished fourth at the 12 hours. So uh, they're looking for a little bit better than that. Uh, I mean that's an extraordinary uh, that's an extraordinary entry with Lowndes and Wincup together for triple the triple eight Red Bull uh, racing team. Uh, in fairness, um, I mean you look at that. Where else do you look? The money, the smart money, will be on that car. But they've got to get to the end. There's 25, only 26 car failed, of course. But there's 25 other cars, and it's a very very long race indeed. Yeah, and, and you've got SVG teaming up with Garth Tander. Remember, well, that's the other side of the, the Red Bull. Time. That's the other side of the Red Bull Holden Racing Team. Yeah. Now, the thing is, Van Gisbergen, SVG, very quick, but doesn't, you know, sometimes doesn't finish. Garth Tander might help out a little bit there. Very interesting. Um, but I, it's the great race. People have been asking, what's our take on it? Who do we think will win? We've already <laughs> said it's Petit Le Mans. It really is. A, a very difficult call to make. Do you go yeah. for the obvious, obvious favourites, Wincup and Lyons, who between them have won six billion times on the mountain, or, or do you look, <laughs> do you look elsewhere? And I, I mean, you've got to say both of those Red Bull Holden team cars look very, very strong indeed. They do, but you can't look past what DJR Team Penske's been able to do this year, and Scotty Mack teaming up with Alex Premont once again. They're going to be a solid partnership. Is Premont uh, got- going to be? Is Premat going to be good enough? We love Alex. He's had a limited amount of running uh, this year. We've seen him a couple of times in IMSA, not as much as we, we would like to in the AMG uh, GT4. Um, that. Ford has been fast. That is the fastest of the Fords. That's the dominating Ford as far as the rest of the championships concerned. Uh, is, yeah. is are they going to have to play a different sort of game? Mm, I mean, whenever Penske's on the door, you know that they've got a good shot at winning, and Penske's it has never been... won that race. No, exactly. Uh, and think about. Last year, Roger Penske winning the Brickyard 400 for the first time. Like, that was a huge accomplishment, getting a win at Indianapolis. That wasn't the 500. Getting a win at the Mountain, you know that Mr. Penske really wants to accomplish that. Actually, it's going to be interesting to see where he is, John. Is he going to be in Petit Le Mans with us, where his car can win a championship, or is he going to be down at the Mountain? That's That's a a hard decision to make. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We've got the Davidson car as well. Will and Alex uh, from Milwaukee Racing. That's another... Uh, Ford, Richie Stanaway has got Chris Pither with him for Holton. I mean, you, you look through, there's good drivers right the way through. Of course there are because people are being teamed up with uh, endurance specialists or additional specialists. Um, it, it basically, you're just going to have to tune in and watch it. I, I completely agree. I think looking up and down the list, there's maybe three cars total that you would put further out of reach for getting a win, but it's just further out of reach because... It's the mountain, and the mountain chooses who wins the race. So it, it's going to be a fantastic contest, and I can't wait until 
race day morning for Petit Le Mans because we're just going to keep on going all the way through. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. Uh, Team Harvey Norman Racing Nissan. Alex Rullo will join uh, Simona de Silvestro. Uh, that will be a car that has uh, a lot of support. Simona has built up a huge following in Virgin Australia supercars. And Tim Gray has some Formula E news that starts with Simona de Silvestro. Yeah, she's been announced as a test driver for the upcoming season, which starts uh, in November in Saudi Arabia. But there's also been an announcement today of a full race driver. Right. And this is the uh, bit of the press release that makes me feel really old. Right. 30-year-old James Collado. 30? He's got children yeah, he now. Turned, James got children. I remember when he was a 15, 16-year-old. <laughs> And who's he? Dri- so, hey, sorry, did you mention who Simona I, was test driver for? I didn't. Right, she is test driver for Porsche, isn't she? Yes, and uh, James Collado is going to Jaguar to replace Alex Lynn, uh, which means that we now know both of their drivers with Mitch Evans holding on to the second seat. And that's it for your first hour on Midweek Motorsport Release Series 14. my will and force to do voiceovers. Don't mind her. Still to come on Midweek Motorsport. That first hour's rattled by, hasn't it? Apologies for the technical issues earlier on. And well done, uh, Tim, for saving it. The responsible adult is peering over the top of her glasses, figuratively and actually, at uh, our technology suppliers uh, at the moment. Coming up in hour two, because fortunately we're on old-fashioned connection to London, uh, we will have Nick Damon looking back at the Russian Federation Grand Prix. Uh, more of your tweets, please, to at Spectatermans. I can pick those up on my phone, thanks to 4G. Uh, and we'll have Paul Truswell looking at the TCR 500 uh, at the weekend, uh, as well as more uh, interesting facts and figures from the world of motorsport. It's all in the second half of tonight's Midweek Motorsport, Series 14, Episode 37. Oh, and some WEC as well. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Thanks to Shea Adam. We'll speak to her next week with the PLM preview. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Ah, so we head headlong into the second hour uh, to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 37. And with any luck, we might have uh, a bit of Paul Truswell on the line now. Paul, can you hear me? I can. Why would you need luck? Well, no. Well, um, we we have a, we have an issue in this part of Northamptonshire at the moment with our connectivity. Uh, it's a local issue apparently, and the engineer is not coming until Friday morning. Thank you, British Telecom, for once again being absolutely rubbish and uh, not keeping up your end of the bargain for business customers who pay a lot of money to you. Um, Trust us, this weekend we have, uh, I think, the first time that we will have had a TCR-only event uh, at at the Spa-Francorchamps circuit. And it's probably going to run for 24 hours, isn't it? Uh, no. Uh, no, no. It, 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 will, it will definitely not run for 24 hours. Um, <laughs> it, it could run for 500 laps. Right. Um, it won't run for 500 laps either. Um, the regulations say it will run for 23 hours. Um, ah. Now, uh, quite why it will only run for 23 hours, I don't know. But um, it's it's due to start on f- at four o'clock on Saturday, um, and Local it time. will then 
uh, at, yes, uh, Belgian time, uh, and it will run for 500 laps or 23 hours, whichever comes first. I'll but tell I... you why. I know the reason uh, behind that is because there is a contractual reason. The the 20 the spa 24 hours is the only 24 hour race that can be at spa there is already a spa 25 hour race so this will become effectively um even if unofficially the spa 23 hours so mm, there you go yes but but i have to say um there is something about i mean uh, to be fair to Creventic, I mean, they've been pushing this for a, a long time, uh, and there is something about the the logo, TCR Spy, Spa 500, um, which is actually quite good. Um, and th- the idea is that it should run over 500 laps. But as I say, it, it unless the TCRs suddenly find a, a huge amount of pace, um, it, it just can't get that for it won't manage 500 laps. You're looking at around about 19 at most 20 laps an hour. So um, do the, the arithmetic yourself and it, it just can't, it just can't go for um, 500 laps. They will have to reach the 23 hour limit first. But um, I do like the idea of a TCR only race. Creventic have long pushed the TCE division within their uh, 24H series races. Um, and to single out the TCR cars actually I think is a good thing because uh, as you will well know John because you've seen a lot of the Creventic races as I have um, the TCE division has sometimes been um, interrupted a little bit and spoiled a little bit by GT4 cars and the SP3 cars which are not the same as GT uh, which are not the same as TCE cars or TCR cars I should say um and I, I just think to make it a pure TCR race is a good thing, um, particularly with the interest uh, in the TCR class across Europe, probably less so in the UK. There'll be people who are saying, what's happened to TCR UK? Well, that, that, that has not been a great success story. But across Europe, uh, TCR has been a great success story. Yes. And I think... Um, for to have a long distance race towards the end of the season when people are looking to do something a little bit different is a good idea. Uh, it, it's not a stellar entry in terms of how many cars are there, but there's some big names uh, in in the cars and in the cars that have been confirmed uh, as entries. I, I suppose, you know, from little acorns to huge oak trees uh, grow, but uh, particularly noticing the... Uh, all Belgian NKPP, uh, all uh, Dutch, excuse me, NKPP racing by Baz Kooten, entry, Gies Bessem, Harry Hilders, Christian Frankenhout, the semi-pro driver, and Jap van Lagen jumping mm. into that car. Now, I've seen his name against a, a, another car as well, I think, uh, if I saw it earlier on, but that might have just dropped off the, the list. But, I mean, there's a guy who races to these touring cars at the very highest highest level has been you know drafted in attracted in or somehow brought in and it doesn't really matter in the touring car world that's yap is a big name Mm. i mean it is you're right in terms of numbers it is a disappointment and we can't get away from that we're looking at 19 cars on the entry list at the moment and um that might only be 18 but 
Uh, yes, it is a disappointment. Can't get away from that. However, uh, you're absolutely right. There are some good names um, in there. Um, you've just mentioned the uh, the, the Baz Kooten entry. Baz Kooten has two cars entered. Um, and the other car is, to my mind, actually a stronger entry. Um, you've got Mikel Azcona, uh, former European TCR champion, uh, driving with uh, Carrie Peckett. Uh, Laxanen, Antti Buri, Fabian, uh, Fabian Dance. He's already the TCE European champion this year. Um, and, you know, that, that is a very, very strong entry. The, what, what, what they've done um, for, the, for, for this race, and it is a standalone race. This is not part of a championship. It's not part of a series. It's a purely standalone race. Um, is to do away, I'm not quite sure how closely you've, you've read, read the regs, John, but they've done away with the whole concept of minimum drive time or yeah. maximum drive time indeed. And so if a driver is happy and he wants to stay in the car for three hours, four hours, he can. For years and years and years, you've had Creventic races where you've had this maximum drive time limit of two hours. And that's affected the strategy because the way a, a TCE car will go for about an hour and 20, an hour and a half on a tank full of fuel means that in effect, after every pit stop, you're changing the driver. Now, you're going to have that whole restriction taken away from you. Um, so I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of opportunities that the few teams that have entered uh, are going to be able to take advantage of. Um Yes, agreed. Uh, next year, this event uh, is going to be moved into the early part of May, where it will coincide with the 12 hours of Spa. I, I realise we haven't got the inaugural event uh, underway yet, but and we talked a, a little bit with Johnny last week on Midweek Motorsport about the 2020 calendar. Um, I, I'm, I can't see how that is going to work. I, I presume we'll get a little more meat on the bones of the calendar announcement. Well, it, it tends to happen that we'll, we'll get one of the Creventic hierarchy to have a chat with us over the weekend? Uh, whether they know yet or not, I don't know. But what I do know is if they know, then they'll tell us because yes. that's how Creventic is. Good point. Um, funnily enough, I mean, Joe, Joe and I have had the opportunity to um, have dinner tonight. So we, we've discussed various things. Uh, and amongst them, indeed, was next year's Creventic calendar and the fact that the 12 hours of Spa coincides with the TCR 500. Um, what we were wondering is whether they're going to do something similar to what happened at Silverstone a couple yes. of years ago when we had the GT3 race, um, mm -hmm. which was for 12 hours, uh, and they flagged the cars off um, at a certain point through the race uh, and then they carried on with the TCE division. Whether they'll do that at Spa 2020 or whether they'll have the two events as two totally separate ones i don't know but that worked all right it, at silverstone in fairness it worked better it, than anybody thought it would do didn't it in, 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 in a way yes it doesn't matter um i mean going back to silverstone i think the big issue with silverstone was originally they were scheduled to have prototypes in there as well and i Correct. think that might have been a bit of a mistake but um I think what what Creventic has always done and what they uh, have excelled at doing is to, to go outside of the comfort zone, to push them, uh, to push some of the ideas beyond what people say, oh, we've never done that before. Um, talk to the drivers, talk to the teams, talk to the marshals and the organizers and everybody else who's involved and say, how can we make this work? Mm. Okay, 
maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work, but they'll talk about it. And out of some of these things, you know, sometimes it doesn't quite work out so well. Out of others, it does work out quite well. And I, I do give credit where it's due. And I think what Creventic does is they're not afraid of grasping those nettles and saying, OK, we'll make that work. Um, and you're right, we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves talking about 2020 when we haven't even had the TCR 500 spa for this year. But they have to start somewhere. Yes. And, um, you know, there's one or two people, again, Joe and I were talking earlier this evening about uh, the heritage of the Spa 24 Hours is not a GT race, it's a touring car race. Yes, um, agreed. So, and, and I know this is not a 24-hour race, it's a 500-lap race to be stopped after 23 hours if that comes first. But they're trying to kind of hang on to a heritage um, to preserve that, but also to do something different. And, you know, you've got to give Creventic credit for that. And I think, you know, if Johnny, Johnny Palmer and I always say, you only need two cars to make a good race. Uh, and we have yeah. um, in this entry list two very, very strong entries. Uh, the one we've not mentioned that we really must is the Red Camel car. Yes. Um, because not only does that have, have Evo and Rick Broikers, um, but it also has Tom Coronel, uh, World Touring Car Championship driver, uh, and Pepe Oriola, who is also a European Touring Car runner-up. Um, you know, and, and he knows how to drive a TCR car. Hmm. Um, you know, and as I say, with no driving time limits here, mm-hmm. I, I love Evo, but, you know, I think he will probably do less driving than, than the other three. Uh, and it doesn't matter. You know, just imagine. I mean, we've seen how quick Rick can be in a TCR. Uh, we know Tom Coronel, fantastic competitor, very um, competitive, even in how old he is. I don't know how old Tom is now. But um, anyway, um, but no, I think that car, uh, the 101 Red Camel car and the Baz Kooten car, um, the 131 car, uh, are going to have a right ding-dong up at the front. Yeah, they're, those two teams, NKPP and uh, Red Camel, were actually racing as one in Barcelona in the 24 hours last time out. Uh, final question, Paul. It's Spa. It's October. It's What's the rain. weather going to be like? <laughs> yes. Um, well, I, I hooked up my... Um, my weather app earlier on in the week and uh, uh, it's going to be beautiful for the pit road for the for the grid start for the uh, for the pit uh, walkabout grid walk that um, hopefully Diana Binks is going to volunteer to do uh, so she'll have lovely sunshine for the for the start uh, we'll then have five six seven hours uh, of dry racing and then we won't right uh, and on Sunday morning it's going to rain in fact, on Sunday night or on the, in the night, Saturday into Sunday, it's going to rain. Um, and then it's going to rain and rain. Um, and then it's going to dry out again. So hopefully the podium will be dry. Well, that's nice. Spa weather never, uh, you know, always brings something. And <laughs> having been involved at Spa a number of times this year, you know, we, we've had races at Spa where uh, the weather does get in the way. But it also puts its challenges up there because you've got to make decisions about, uh, you know, do you use wet tyres, do you use dry tyres? There isn't an option of intermediates uh, in in Creventic races. It's hand-cooked wets or hand-cooked dries. Um, so you don't have to worry about anything intermediate. But you do need to make that decision one way or the other. Yes. And if you have 
and Spa is a big enough circuit. You know, it's over seven kilometers around. Yes. Um, it occupies quite a lot of acreage and you can have weather at one side and not at the other. So you do need to have a driver who is confident in his car and able to push things. Packed weekend for us on RS1. Uh, the TCR practice session, first practice session on Friday, just before 1 o'clock UK time. And we'll have night practice in sound and vision just before 6 o'clock. Further qualifying at 10 to 10 on Saturday morning before the grid walk uh, and the race start. That's at uh, 25 past 2 on Saturday. A little less broadcasting uh, than usual, uh, but we will be back in plenty of time for the race finish from 10 o'clock in the morning UK time for the TCR 500. And around that, also on RS1, uh, we will have the WEC from Fuji. So it'll be Joe, Paul and Diana at Spa-Francorchamps. It'll be Johnny and Bruce from... Uh, from the race at Fuji, if the race from Fuji gets off, because that is going to have weather as well. And when they have weather, they have terrible weather. I'm very envious, Paul. Uh, enjoy the trip down with uh, Joe and Di. Uh, have a great weekend at Spa. We will, don't worry. Paul Truswell, who will be part of that coverage at the weekend. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport, just after quarter past nine, Series 14, Episode 37. And Tim Gray. Our executive producer is up in London. Shall we do a bit of WEC or do you want to move on to something else? Uh, let's move on to Formula One because okay. there was a Grand Prix at the weekend in Russia. Uh, and although Nick Damon isn't with us tonight because he's travelling the world to play with his toy cars. Stop it. Uh, you got a chance to talk to him on Sunday evening and uh, started off by asking him uh, why Mercedes, uh, sorry, why McLaren was switching back from uh, Renault to Mercedes engines. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it broke very suddenly, and in two days it went from being a rumour to happening. So, uh, you know, it is a, a trip home for McLaren, back to the team which powered all their more recent successes, you know, back in uh, from 1995 onwards, and certainly six onwards, and, and those Newey wins, and then the wins obviously with Lewis and uh, uh, through in the early 2000s as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting situation because you're going to leave Mercedes theoretically with four teams in 2021. This is, this is not next year, this is a year after next. Four teams they're going to be supplying, which of course are Williams, who signed a long-term contract themselves. We assume they're going to be supplying themselves. Uh, McLaren and Racing Point, um, though of course how long the Racing Point contract is, not so sure. Um, why wouldn't McLaren go next year, Nick? Um, uh, right, OK, I know they've got... Now, the obvious answer is they've got a contract with Renault, but, you know, it's Formula One. So why wouldn't they jump straight in and go with a car next year that has a Mercedes lump in it? Well, there's a couple of good reasons. The first reason is that if Mercedes are going to move to four teams, then they'd have to ramp up to that production anyway. Um, that's not the work of a moment. Um, if, you know, it, a team has been removed from Mercedes roster that can't happen next year and also remember that next year's um, regulations are very very static so you'd, and you'd have to completely re-engineer a car from scratch with a new engine uh, set up so it's not necessarily you know at this point in the season when they will have laid down most of their plans or all their plans for the car for next year and, and the evolution it doesn't make an awful lot of sense um, you know at that point, but obviously when you're having a complete clean shield of papers to have for 2021, um, then that is you know, a good time to move. And they obviously feel that you know, seven years after Ron shot themselves in the foot massively by deciding to move away from the obviously best hybrid engine, despite the fact, of course, that uh, they were handicapping themselves by not using the correct fuel. Um, 
despite the fact when McLaren did get the first, we had two of the three cars on the podium in the first ever hybrid Euro race, uh, and they're about 30 horsepower down because they insisted on using whatever the fuel was they were partnered with rather than the Petronas fuel. So that's something they're going to have to, to, to work out because obviously most of these cars have petroleum sponsors and you know mm. we had the thing last year where Total were getting upset that they weren't getting enough dyno time uh on behalf of uh Red Bull at the uh Vichy uh France France uh Viri sorry Viri Viri Chateau France um engine power plant for for Renault so it's it's, it's kind of a you know with, with a lot of the people saying that the the amazing performance of Ferrari recently is a lot around, bit based around quite a bit around their, their shell fuels. Fuels are incredibly mm. important again. Whilst they nominally, nominally have to be pump fuel, i.e., that just means the RON has to be the right amount, they are the exotic super fuels of turbo times gone, just they're probably not going to kill you in 10 minutes, take a bit longer. Yeah, and they won't go all the way through the Earth's crust if you drop it on the floor of the garage. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the point about changing the car, though, Nick, surely the engines aren't that different in terms of size, in terms of packaging, in terms of everything, because the regulations are so close together that you can take a rocker arm or a part from a Renault engine, a Mercedes engine, oh, no, 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 uh, and no, look no. at them, and they look exactly the same. Oh, they might look the same. And the uppy-downy bits are, you know, the ICE, the internal combustion engine, is quite prescribed with crank height and that sort of thing. Uh, but... All the ancillaries, the MGUK, the MGUH, the radiators, even the position of the turbos relative to where they're placed within the engine, whether it's a split turbo or a, a continuous unit, that's all different. Mm. Um, so there is a lot of difference in packaging. I mean, you know, it is obviously if you had to change engines, you can change it. It's fine. But, you know, but it's, I think it's much more likely that you know, the fact that this deal is now being done. Where are we now? October. Mm. Well, you're, you're in October. We're, I'm speaking to September. This is going out in October. Woo! Um, you know. <laughs> So that's too late to get things done. Um, the cars are already laid down. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Clean sheet of paper, start getting clean engine with all the information you need. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great move for McLaren. It, uh, you know, it, it again, removes another hiding place they might have. But um, yeah, it leaves Renault on their own. And the question is, do Renault do, want to continue on their own? The extra engine? Who knows? There's two questions I need to ask about that. One from the Renault side and one from the Mercedes side. First of all, how does that, how does that affect Renault? in that by 2021, as it stands, as it stands, there would only be, there would only have the works team to supply. Now, you could say, well, that's really good because that means they can throw all that effort behind that. But let's be quite candid here that selling engines, even if you sell them at a reduced price or you're subsidising them, if you're getting money in for selling engines, that's, that's pretty good. On the other side of that, can Mercedes and the guys over at Brixworth, you know, a rocker arms throw from where I am, same rocker arm that looks the same from Ferrari and Renault and, <laughs> and everybody else, I could almost ho- throw it across to Brixworth. That, that's a big facility, but can they ramp up and, and supply four teams? Yeah, I mean, the first point is obviously that when they sell the engines to um, the customer team, they actually make money on that sale you know if it, you know it, it, yeah they're not get, supplying a piece of metal and electronics that actually they lose money and obviously when you amortize the investment that goes into it they yes. lose you money but actually if they make 10 of the engines or four of the engines obviously the 10 engines is a more efficient way of making it right so it will effectively be a extra cost for Renault. the other thing to remember is obviously you know, you're not developing you know 17 engines a year as they used to be doing That's you know um you know 
20 years ago. You only allowed three or four, three or four iterations, or three iterations officially, but obviously, um, of the engine during the years. So there's only so much you can do. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of work I said on the dynos uh, regarding fuel and, and everything else. Um, and, yeah, and Renault aren't, you know, I mean, we still, Renault are still, I mean, an eye about being 100% committed. I, th- I, don't, I think that's more of a posture, posturing point than, than they will be there. Um, as far as, as Mercedes are concerned, I don't think there's any issue with them supplying four teams. It's a massive facility. The problem they do have is that. You are supposed to provide engines of equal spec, mm. both um, electronically and software and everything else. Now, we all know that in reality, the works team has various, you know, under the table, various, you know, more more time on big modes and all, all that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but the point about it is you are supposed to supply them to everyone at once. So realistically, when you bring out your next iteration, you have to have 10 of them, you know, yes. eight, eight supplies and a couple of spares. So, you don't, so it means you're... You know, your your new your ver- version two because version one's easy because you've got the whole off season to The version two, which comes out seven races in, you've got to have you've got to have a box of ten of them to because all the teams have to be able to use them at the same time. So that's that's okay. more the challenge is that mass production. Now, does this save McLaren money? And the reason no. I ask that is because McLaren Formula One makes went from making a forty four million pound loss uh, two years to, ago to a sixty seven million pound loss. Uh, a year ago. It's the only part of the McLaren group that makes a loss. So effectively, McLaren cars, McLaren technology and everything else is subsidising the Formula One team because they don't have um, sponsorship and they're not scoring enough points. All right, I know the points money comes in um, a couple of years behind, but they're not scoring enough points. They're not attracting enough sponsorship to actually even get anywhere near breaking even on Formula One team. So does this save them more money? Um, I don't think it does. I mean, the only thing I would say is, is there was a kind of a rumor that, it's gonna, that it's gonna, they're going to be charged less. Because don't forget, they were in a they were in kind of a fire sale last time, and they wanted to get out of Honda as quickly mm. as possible. So they didn't have the best bargaining position to get the best pricing from uh, from Renault. So you kind of, they may be saving a little bit of money, but it's not going to be um, you know, in F one terms the uh, the be all and end all. That's for sure. Uh, let's talk about the race. Um, yes, Baku. It's not Baku. A, it's not Sochi. A, uh, sorry, um, did I say I said Baku before as well, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, Sochi, excuse me. Um, uh, it's not the most um, exciting attractive. of circuits. It's not attractive, no. It could be. I mean, the backdrop is lovely. Um, with... well, I mean, it, it's nice to see actually an Olympic village still being used for something. Well, that's very true. The, you know, to, I mean, give, right, fair enough, the, the London Olympic village has been used. But you look at some of the other more recent like Rio, and they've already effectively almost been reclaimed by the, by the jungle in many ways. Well, same as, same as in China, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it was the most expensive summer or winter Olympics, more than I think it was $50 billion that was spent on the 2014. Was it the 2014 Winter Olympics? I think it was. Um, yeah. um, right. A lot of people talking about the layout of the circuit. A lot of people talking about the fact that it needs grass and gravel instead of tarmac runoff. Um, double DRS, yeah, and um, it just doesn't race very well, does it? It's a get. It's another. It's like Singapore, just a bit quicker. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a difficult circuit. I mean, you say there are areas where there's acres of tarmac in an area where there's, there's virtually no runoff at all mm. it's like end up a street truck it is like a street truck let's be honest half the circuit is a street track absolutely yeah. and then the other half kind of when they're going round on the fast bits is a little bit more open but yeah they haven't got a lot of runoff uh, the runoff they've got is um, just a different painted bit of tarmac so it doesn't put anyone off um, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, it's kind of a track you think with a couple of tweaks would be much better. I mean, in yes. fairness, I think the cars race better this year than last year. I think I'd agree that with that. 
that ability to follow um, made them a little bit better. And so the midfield continued having their ridiculous scraps, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, well, front, again, we had that issue that we talked about last race, Nick, where the midfield were having three and four car battles. The front three, four, five cars couldn't get in within... By the time they got within a second and a half of each other, they were struggling. I mean, it's, it's a bizarre situation. Are the front teams that much more aero-dependent than the guys in the midfield? Well, possibly, or possibly they've driven... But if you think about it, the tyres are the same and the engines are the same. Uh-huh. Most of these guys have got some pretty intelligent chassis engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, so That only leaves the aero. That only leaves the aero for the difference. So, yeah, good point. You know, some, someone said to me that uh, an F1 car is 40% aero, 40% engine, and 20% suspension. Um, that's and that is pretty much borne out by by what you can do. The thing is that everyone has maximised the suspension. It's interesting what they're doing now is they're trying to make bits lighter, but the suspension, you know, the, with, with some of the clever stuff taken off, everyone I think has a pretty similar suspension, apart from Haas who can't get the tyres to work. But even they say it's aero now. Um, so yes, it, it, yeah. So therefore, if you've got a much more aero efficient car, it's going to be much more upset if it's got to travel in in um, dirty air. Uh, and yeah, but and also I think you know, if you're, the middle the middle of the grid is is a little bit more do and die. They are very very even. They're one week it's one team, one week it's the next, uh, and they're just and they're off, they're often at different areas of their tire life as well. So and, yes, that's and a good point. You have and you have to make them make the move, and it's it's a, a situation where I think yeah, there's, there's there's also nothing to lose in many cases. You know, you're not really protecting much. If you're going from eighth to ninth, it's not a big thing. One way or the other, it goes slightly wrong, and you scuffle off the circuit, end up tenth. Yes, you know. If you're second, you scuffle the circuit, end up fifth. It's a major disaster. So there are different mindsets at, at play there. Um, I'm really enjoying being at home on the Grand Prix weekends and being able to watch the early sessions on Friday and, and Saturday. I, I always tend to watch qualifying in the race, but uh, it's been good watching the, the, the opening sessions just to see how the weekend uh, evolves. And it, it's been very funny this weekend watching... Obviously, I'm watching the UK... Um, the international feed, which is the Sky feed, and how McLaren were complete... I'm sorry, McLaren. See, just get them back to Mercedes engines. That'll be much better. Uh, how Mercedes were completely written off. They're nowhere. Uh, it's going to be a one-two. Um, it's going to be a one-two at a stroll, not for Lawrence, but for uh, Ferrari. Uh, nobody's going to get anywhere near them. Red Bull are nowhere. Uh, Albon's rubbish. He's had an awful weekend. He's going to be nowhere. And it's go- uh, take your pick. Roll the dice. Oh, it's Seb. Seb's got his head on this weekend. Seb's going to win the race. And of course, that didn't happen. Yeah, at I, all. I think. I think what we have here, and I think, it's, actually, in a, in a very jokey way, you're making quite a good point. Now, I've no idea if it's the same in if it's obviously the, the US gets our, our commentary as well. I've no idea if it's the same with other international commentary teams, but. Because we are pretty convinced we know who's going to win the World Championship, and it's even more convincing after this weekend, there's been a massive search all year for this, for this other narrative. The other narrative where we don't have to say Lewis Hamilton and we don't have to say Mercedes. And don't forget, prior to, <laughs> prior to the summer break, what was the narrative? Who was the greatest driver in the world? Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen. Since, since the summer break, he's had a couple of, a couple of poor races. One, one entirely his fault, which was uh, Belgium. One partly his fault, which was... Uh, a poor start, and then a not particularly bit of a lackluster come through the pack in um, in, in uh, Monza, um, you know. And then the, the Red Bulls dropped to the pace and was nowhere in in, in 
Singapore, and again was just yeah you know, he, he overtook who you expected him overtook him this time, and then got stuck and didn't get any further. So he, he's done nothing particularly special for four races. Not saying he's not a great driver, just so now the narrative is. Charles Leclerc is the greatest driver ever, ever to happen, and his progression is unbelievable. And everything he does is marvelous. <laughs> Backed up with the other, other narrative, which is Sebastian Vettel's washed up. It's all over. He's he's gone. Always want to race because it's handed to him. And so, because realistically, the the people in commentary are desperate not to talk about the elephant in the room, which is that quietly ticking along are the team from Brixworth who are ticking their way along to two world championships. Brixworth again. and, and, and Brackley, yes. Yeah, uh, six and six. Uh, and, he's and, now, and he, Lewis, I mean, they keep talking about, oh, he's had a few bad Grand Prix, but his well, championship... bad Grand Prix. His, his, cha- not, his championship he's, he's, lead has increased. Never mind just to his, his, his own teammate, who's never going to be a challenge to him. Let's be brutally honest there. That's not what he's there for. But he's now over 100 points away to somebody who isn't his own teammate. I mean, the, the, the say, oh, he's taking a... The final thing today, as they were wrapping up, he's taking a big step towards the World Championship. What? Stop! The World Championship's been won for the last four races. It, it hasn't made a blind bit of difference what's happened in the last four races. No, I mean, I, and and this is the point again. They're, they're, they're running with this narrative that about Ferrari and Ferrari have done a brilliant job over the last four races. Yes, they have. They, they, we can question a lot of things today, but the car, wow, brilliant, great work. But the fact of the matter is that if you actually took the performances over these four races where they've been, excuse my French, wetting themselves over Charles Leclerc, <laughs> I would argue He's very good. that Lewis Hamilton has driven as well. Oh, yes, I'd agree. You know, the last two qualifiers, yes, he qualified second, but his laps actually were probably better given the car deficit he was with. Well, and particularly this weekend, bear in mind that they were playing a completely different strategy this weekend and he had to start on a different tyre, which was I mean, really I mean, interesting in Q2. Well, you know, and, and let's, just, let's just talk about Mercedes, because Mercedes made a mistake last time. Last time out, they made a mistake with their strategy. They tried something that didn't work. And they lost a couple of points out of it. And that was, you know, and they said, we all went, oh, that was a mistake. And, and it swings around us. This time, they could see what was happening. They had no chance in a straight fight no. against Ferrari. For, Too I mean, much straight line speed. Yeah, the fact was, yeah, we'll talk about this a bit more, but you know, the, if you looked at Lewis was hanging on seven seconds behind um, Fettel and three and a half behind um, Leclerc. And there was no degradation worthwhile. So the tyres weren't going to go off enough for him to make up for it. And if it did... How is he going to pass? Mm-hmm. So they thought, well, let, what can we do? Well, the only strategy we can have, we reckon we're definitely faster than Red Bull because Max Verstappen's got a five-pace penalty. Mm-hmm. So we are in a in a situation where we have nothing to lose. So let's stick the thing on the slower tyres that give us an extra 15 laps and just see what happens. Yeah, Just see what happens. Because they're going to come first and second. We're going to come third and fourth, barring, you know, a disaster. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, sometimes when you play a punt, it came off, and you know, I think it was. I think one of the team guys on the Twitter it was delicious irony that um, <laughs> was the breakdown of uh, the the engine failure or the MGUK failure for Fettel, which led to the virtual safety car, which put Lewis ahead. The fact is, they played for that. Yes, they, they did. They played for that situation. That was what they're playing for. Is, well, that's it, what it, they did. Let's be honest. That's what they were doing in Singapore as well. It didn't happen. And they got exactly. criticised for that. So I don't understand why they're not getting the plaudits for it this weekend. Right. I, I want to talk about virtual safety car. Um, I want to talk about tyres. But before that, we've got to talk about Ferrari. And yes. the bubbling up once again 
of uh, internecine rivalry in Ferrari, where we had another multi-21 situation uh, here I, with yeah. Vettel. There was a clear... There was It has trans- transpired. There was a clear plan at the start of the race. Whatever anybody says, it was a smart plan, and I'm going to say that straight off. And I said about how Ferrari it's did a good job in Singapore. Sport. The, the, sport. It was It was a team sport, and Leclerc was going to tour... Uh, not pull over and defend, because if he'd pulled over to the right-hand side and defend through the first kink, he would have given Hamilton the tour. Instead, he stayed where he was, gave Vettel the tour. That might mean that Vettel was going to go up the inside, and if that was going to happen, they were going to swap back. Exactly what happened. Perfect team strategy. How many times have we heard people saying, for example, when they've got a front row lockout, how are you going to deal with this? Ah, we'll just deal with it when it happens. Well, they had a plan. They had several plans. They executed to perfection, and Charles felt he'd had his nose bloodied again. Now, rights and wrongs of that, I, I really don't care, because I can see the right on both sides. In fairness, Vettel was pulling away. He was putting in fastest lap after fastest lap. And at the time, it would have been difficult for them to swap it back around. They effectively did that with their pit stop strategy. So ultimately, whether that matters or it doesn't matter. But what we've got again, Nick, is this bubbling animosity in Ferrari. And is Benotno the man to handle it? Can he pull this back? Well, it's, you know, the first things first. I think effectively, Seb has decided he needs to make a stand mm-hmm. um and his stand was obviously he won that lot he won last week you know and, and this time he had the lead and he wasn't going to give it up he was going to make a point um rather embarrassingly i think ferrari all the messages went by leclerc's obviously particularly perturbed by it and then what happened was it affected never... leclerc by the way exactly. it did yeah. affect and, leclerc and 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 what I mean, sorry, happened? sorry. What I should say is, I don't mean it affected him on the track. I mean it affected him in his mind. I think it distracted him, and oh, particularly I mean, when I we came I off think... the virtual safety car, um, he wasn't. He should have been able to get back Bottas, and he couldn't. And I think that was down to how his mind was. Well, I think I think that certainly it, it didn't help what they'd done with the car. But the thing to remember about this is, is that what didn't play out because Fettel broke down was actually what did happen was that Ferrari strong armed him back because they they Correct. pitted him exactly the right amount of laps to come back out behind Charles. I think it was a three-lap undergo. We've only been taking four laps to do it. Yeah. So they said, right, you can do whatever you like, Sebastian, and you can show off, but the fact is you can't run this team. Mm-hmm. So actually lost in all this cloud of everything else was quite a firm message. They've, they've now gone, oh, no, it was, it was tactical. No, it wasn't. You were no. making sure that the swap happened and he couldn't do anything about it. Now, perhaps I agree with what that. may I have agree happened with after that. at that point is if his car hadn't broken down, they'd have been allowed to race each other. I don't know. But the fact was he was slapped on the wrist in the, in the one way which he can't do anything about because he, was poor, he, he needed a pit stop. Of course, don't forget, Multi-21, all those years back, 2013 in Malaysia, we were 10 laps from the end when he was told to hold station. He didn't hold station, didn't care less, went past, shafted Mark Webber, didn't care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a racing driver, and he smiled, he smiled laughing at Sebastian Vettel, but they got, you know, they got a bit of steel about them. But, you know, at that point, I think Sebastian lost, you know, a good percentage of fans he's never going to get back, and it just shows that it's still does there that, now. Does that tell you how the mentality within the Scuderia, within Ferrari itself is moving towards Leclerc because, and I say that because you would never, ever, ever have seen that have happened a few years ago with a, an absolute number one driver. Yeah. That, that tells you everything I think you need to know 
about where they feel Vettel is in his career and in his time in his time with Ferrari. Vettel wanted to make, lay down a marker. Now his marker was, "Look how fast I've gone! Look what I've done!" He got slapped back, and he probably was expecting. He brought to get the car as well. Back. Don't forget. Yeah, well, I think yeah. <laughs> but you know, the other thing that tells me again is he's is he's going nowhere at the end of the year. Right? Do you but think that? If, if, if he was going, if he was going to give up at the end of the year, which I think at one point was possible, you don't bother that, do you? You don't make yourself look a, a nasty person. You start helping. You know, you, you, oh no, look, I'll help my my new young charger. I am, you know, our Padawan. It's fine. So no, he's he's just <laughs> laying down a marker. And and the point was made. Look, I got through. I could pull away. Leclerc couldn't keep up. Da, 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 da. And obviously the other problem they had as well was if you looked at the true pace of the Mercedes, which was probably Bottas seven seconds up the road, close to them was Lewis driving brilliantly and putting a, a modicum of pressure on them, meaning that they couldn't do the old-fashioned thing, which drop back and just let. Um, uh, yeah, the, 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 um, let them just slide past the track because they they end up too close to each other. So, you know, it's it's again, it's all about pressure. It's all about, and, it's, and in many ways, it's unfortunate we didn't see the whole thing play out because it'd been quite interesting what the second half of the race would have brought us. Um, I would like were, to have heard more more of the radio messages. For once, I would have liked to have heard more, not the edited highlights, because I have a suspicion there was a lot more going on than than what we heard. There were some great drives in that. I'm just going to mention a few people. We haven't got time to go because I want to ask two very important questions. Um, about uh, Formula 3 very important questions I'll come in again Uh, and uh, so Albon started in the pits because he had a horrible weekend he redeemed himself he gets back in the top five all right um, fifth position because of the issue with the Ferrari but he gets back I think think you've got to say that that was a very quickly you've got to say that was a good drive I think that's a better drive than Gasly could have done in the same situation I agree don't forget he got helped by a virtual and a safety car which but even so, I think that was a, that was the best he could achieve. Did it really well. Can't can't fault him for that. Particularly after the knock in his confidence when he threw the yeah. car off, he, he hadn't felt like, good clearly in that car. Points for getting the drive next year. Yes. You know, I'm still, the jury's still horrendously out just because it's such a big ask. But you know, uh, and, McLaren, and, and, both McLarens, pretty good. Yeah, um, and they lost out from the virtual safety car a little they bit. Did. But uh, science started really well. I thought he was going to have how how was it on the first corner? Mm. Very good uh, and. Magnussen had a good drive. Oh, now, actually, I didn't look. They did say on the telly yeah, he that he got five. in the points, but he, he lost that, didn't he, with his five-second no, no, penalty? Yeah, I think he still, he still, still scraped to the bottom of right. the points. Okay. So they, managed, they managed to stretch out enough. The question that I want to ask is, there's two, there's two major questions. Okay. They are talking about the other thing that came out the weekend, other than the Mercedes-Benz McLaren announcement, is uh, the trial next year of some qualifying races rather than qualifying sessions in up to four races next year, four race weekends next year, where you'll do your free practice sessions. The grid for a half-distance qualifying race will be set on your championship positions, and that will set the qualifying for the race. That will set the qualifying for the race. And the qualifying race will be set on reverse qualifying positions. They're talking about all of this. Surely it would be so much more easier. Because first of all, I don't think there's anything wrong with qualifying. I like qualifying. I like the short sessions. I don't really need to watch an hour's worth of a qualifying race. I'd rather watch the three 15, 10 and 10 sessions. I think that's quite, that quite builds quite nicely. Secondly, why do we always have the three tyres only one step apart why can't we have them like 
the super, super soft and the super, super hard and something in the middle. Because then that would make the tyre decisions way more important. The second thing is, shut the pits when there's a virtual safety car. Close the pits when there's a virtual safety car. Close the pits when there's a safety car and only open it so that the leader gets the chance to come in as he's coming round. Why can't they see that that would make it a better show? Right, okay, let's take this one let's take this one at a time. Um the qualifying race, um I'm on the it isn't broke, don't fix it. However, I think as Ross Braun said, you should try it. However, you have to decide where you're going to try it because there's no point in a qualifying race in Monaco, is there? Because then they just go out in one order. You know, let's be honest about this. You know, Robert Kubica could hold everyone back in Monaco. It's not an issue. You know, it, it, you, so you've got to find tracks where cars can overtake easily, of which there are very few. So you then you. But aren't you asking to... the wrong question there, Nick? Because if you wouldn't be right, rewind. It, there's no point. There's absolutely no point at all in doing that if cars can't follow within a second and a half. So say you've done it at, back, at, at Sochi this weekend, which I still want to call back here, apparently. No, I go for it. Then, you know, the, then the leaders may well have come through the pack, but they wouldn't have changed position because none of them could overtake each other. I mean, you've got to change the regulations to make the air rule regulations less depend, less important to the performance of the cars yeah i mean this is the other point is is this uh, something you actually need to be doing this year or whether you or if you have true belief that the 2021 rules will change in large matters there this, you go should you be doing it next, next this year but they say they want it in two or three races they want to try it if they choose the right races you know and i and i agree the one thing the other thing you have to remember is that there is a real issue with, the reverse, with, with these qualifying races and the issue is the axis of power different teams have mm-hmm Yes. So if you're Renault, so as we've talked about it so far, if you're Renault and you're on your own, nobody's going to help you. In realistically, let's be realistic about this. Alfa Romeo are not going to hold up Ferrari and Toro Rosso are not going to hold up Red Bull. It's not going to happen because they are part owned by those teams. So you get a free pass. For the t- for those, those Alpha Toro, as it will be next year, of course. Really, I hope not, because it's hard to pronounce. Now, you know, you're not going to. It's pretty obvious. That even when they're together, McLaren are not going to let Mercedes pass. Now, perhaps there can be an arm at the back for for Racing Point or Williams, but suddenly you're sitting there going, "Well, this isn't. We're not starting with fair sides." No. And more importantly, you know, if you've got, say, you've got. Um, Let's take it this order, right? So you've got Lewis Hamilton starting at the back mm-hmm. and then starting five from the back, or six back is Alexander Albon. Mm-hmm. Well, Albon could let Verstappen through and then just no pit hold... stops every- for these races, then, don't forget. And then just hold everyone else up with the most blocking he could have. Yeah. So this is the problem with qualifying races because it's a team sport and the teams are multi-mixed. So you're not going to get a fair situation. So it's very easy. Great. Yeah, you could buy one, one car... Basically, you want to be this year. You want to be fifth or sixth in the championship, um, so you'd have a chance of being at the front of the fast cars. So you can effectively side through the side through the, uh, midfield. the midfield first, and your teammate can hold the rest of them up. Aren't you also going to have to give teams more engines and more yeah, tyres? Well, definitely more tyres. Uh, but I, I think that it's. Um, I think it's an idea that they think, oh, we're going to get another hour's worth of racing. It's going to look really good. I think it's going to end up being a bit of a disaster, to be honest. All right. Because I just think I just think team taxes are come on board and everyone's going to get very upset very quickly. I, I hadn't thought about that. That's a very good point. Um, right, OK. Uh, why don't they close the pits in a virtual safety car? Why should they? 
Because it's the reason for deploying a virtual safety car, and by the way, before anybody says, why was the one virtual safety car and why was the one full safety car this weekend, the first car that needed to be pushed out of the way was Vettel's, which was pushed out the way without vehicles on track. The second one was damaged and needed to be lifted. Buried into the barrier after break. Yes, yes. And, and I don't have any problem with that distinction at all. Not at all. And I understand entirely why Formula One make that distinction. Um, in virtual safety cars, surely the whole point of it is, Nick, that you're not supposed to be able to gain or lose. There should be no advantage or disadvantage. And in circuits like uh, Sochi and Singapore, where the pit lane speed limit is slower than everywhere else, then, um, you know, you get you get an advantage or a disadvantage yeah, for coming no, You in. always get an advantage if you can pit, pit under a virtual safety car or a safety car. But that's just part of the tactics. You know, we've seen a victory for Mercedes due to that um, playing that tactic this year. If you remember the first Grand Prix of last year, Australia, Sebastian Vettel won. No, no, because, I, I, I'm, no, you know, no I, I don't disagree. I'm just saying... If no. if if your reason for despl- de- deploying, if your reason for using a virtual safety car, uh, not a full safety car, is, the the, is to not disadvantage people, you do disadvantage people because you're allowing people a free pit Everybody stop. Everybody is allowed to pit stops. The people who've stopped already can pit stop again. It's, it's exactly even more importantly, actually, the main reason the virtual safety car is to actually make it a shorter situation. But it depends where it's called and where the leader is on the on no, the, on the, on the go, lap. But, Think about a safety car. Safety car's four or five laps. A virtual safety, a virtual safety car can be four corners or a lap and a half, and then you get ready to go and you go green again. It's a much right. shorter procedure. Right. I, I, I don't have an issue with this, and it is one of those things. You know, much as they say with you know, they'll be saying about VAR in the Premier League. Over the course of a season, or over the course of several seasons, you will win as often as you lose, and vice versa. No, they just need to but do that the way they're doing in rugby. But if you're playing for it, yeah, which we had today, then. That's what you and as in fact Mercedes did last week and failed. They played for it once, didn't get it. Played for it a second time, got it. Tires. So we so we didn't have that. We just take away a whole level of interest. Okay. And the tires. Why well, don't we have a bigger spread of tires? They always go for for the three that are together rather than spreading them out a bit. Why don't they no, do no. A, a medium compound that is one of the three middle compounds, then a soft that's one below and a hard that's three above? Why? why I don't get that. Because they, I don't know, because we did have some stuff last year when they had the 17 compounds, where it was, where they were two steps apart, where, where it was, you, had, you had like number two, number four, and number five. Yes. You know, and there was, and there was a gap. Um, and the soft one was like chewing gum. You had to decide whether you're going to risk it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I, Pirelli really are in a permanent rock and a hard place. Cause everyone's oh, I agree. Been I, I don't blame Pirelli. I don't blame Pirelli at all. I just think the regulations don't help them. And if there's what, one what? thing I would change of all the regulations that people are talking about changing, first of all, I'd have a spec front wing, that everybody had to have, that didn't have an awful lot of downforce on it, and then probably off an F2 car, because they seem to be able to follow each other really well, um, sometimes too close. And then I would make the bands in the tyres, I would make the differences in the tyres much more, so that when you picked your tyres and used your tyres, particularly for qualifying, and as you say, Nick, if you've got one that's super, 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 super quick in F2, in Q2 rather, to get you into Q1... 
and that's the one you do you've, and then it's going to last six laps and fall apart well that's that's the choice isn't it yeah and i think the, the, the real issue is as we are well aware pirelli as could any of the major tyre companies, could make a tyre that is as fast as the current soft tyre that lasts the, the whole, whole race. race. Yes, no problem absolutely. At all. Good They're point. having to design obsolescence into the tyres, which makes it difficult. It's very hard. It's much harder, actually, to design a tyre that fades at a certain way in a certain point than one that actually is blooming quick for two hours. You, know, you have to look at what, what Michelin can do in, um, in Le Mans with cars at 300... Well, 250 grams heavier, and they won for three hours 45. Something ridiculous, anyway. But the point about it is, this is the issue. And Pirelli are constantly given contra information. I think you know we want to be able to run as hard as possible, and then they want to go off. Well, that's not very easy to do. You know, you can't push them, then they fall off. Or we've got a narrow temperature window up here, and it's and I and I think this, it's a very very difficult situation. And and perhaps you come down in the end, you may in the end just have to make a mandation of two pit stops uh, and that's it really well you know there's, there's the, or, or you know whatever else you can do because I think All right. the tyres it's, it's, it's unfortunately technology in tyres has got too good to have them replaced right so uh, yes no I agree I agree that uh, with that uh, that's Nick Damon before we let him go uh, next it's the Vapors we're turning Japanese and apparently the Honda engines have got the Suzuka power. Didn't work that well uh, this They've weekend. one go pop already, yeah. Two. Two, actually, yeah. He double popped, didn't he? He, yeah. did, he did double one pop. Thing, just, just, I know you're trying to get rid of me. One thing I have found interesting is... I'm not trying it, to get rid of you. No, I know you're not, because you've got, you, you have no idea how much you've got to fill on Wednesday and this is Sunday. Who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> but the one thing I have noticed, have you noticed that most I've of the failures... I've run out failure, of Shabley. Yeah, most of the failures with um, all of these engines have been with the customer teams. Yes, good point. Um, and, and obviously Toro Rosso is the customer team for Honda because they are designing the car to fit the packaging which, which Newey's come with. And, it, and, it's, and it's interesting that we've yeah, the Ferrari today was the first, yeah, it was the first engine failure we've seen from Mercedes or mm-hmm. uh, Ferrari uh, this season. Well, we, 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 Leclerc lost the cylinder. That was a spark plug failure, which can't be anybody uh, in Bahrain. So, you know, it, but we've seen, you know, the Perez has lost a couple. We've seen Stroll's had a problem. We've seen... Um, well, I Perez think has, has lost... Well. Perez has lost confidence in the phase three engine to the point where he's still running the phase two engine. Yeah, and, and that's the same thing which won convincingly today. And it, so there are installations, and you may, almost looping it right back to the two, is it, you know, why wouldn't um, McLaren change engines now? Because they've actually managed to get the things installed quite well in that yeah, car. Well, that's, so, that's a very good point. Uh, Japanese Grand Prix. Two it, weeks, though. And, so we'll talk to you next week about that but just some thoughts about that it's Honda's home track I, I, I think this is going to be really interesting because there is a situation there where yeah, we, we really need to see what Ferrari can do on a very twisty very twisty circuit but they have got the point the only place you can really overtake a car is, is on the long back straight so um, or, and then coming into the, um, the chicane of course so they, they they can get if they can qualify out front then it's going to be a, a big tactical battle again but will the, the effective ground speed of the of the both of both, in fact, in many cases, the Red Bull and the Mercedes manager keep them in front of them because I think if I think if Ferrari don't qualify in the front, they can't win. But if they qualify in the front, you kind of think unless they have the problems today where they act, they shot themselves in the foot, completely not their fault, but that's what happened. Um, you know, if you think if they're at the front, how are people get past them? But if they're behind, you can't see them over a race but beating the top the other three drivers. I don't count Albon in that one. Enjoy Portugal. I'm very envious. I will. Uh, I'm in Portugal at the end of the month uh, myself. And you'll be back next week, will you? 
Hope so. All right. See you then, Nick. Bye. Bye, Ben. Nick Damon talking on Sunday. Uh, we can move on to calendar news, John. Oh, you like a bit of calendar news, don't you? And I particularly like this calendar news because it's World Rally Championship calendar news. Mm-hmm. And next season's World Rally Championship will visit six continents uh, with the addition of Japan, Kenya and New Zealand to uh, the schedule. Wow. They're not new. None of them oh. are new. They're all returning rallies. Uh, but Japan is returning after ten year absence and is in a different part of Japan instead of uh, being it's all all uh, it 's going to be all uh, all tarmac isn 't it instead of being in uh, honshu mm. uh, sorry in uh, hokkaido it 's in uh, the main honshu island uh, around Nagoya, which I believe is where the Olympics are being held next year as well oh, it 's really? um, all tarmac and uh, will be the final round of next year's championship. Uh, Kenya returns uh, as the Safari Rally. Uh, that hasn't been part of the World Championship since 2002. It's never been a part of the current iteration of WRC. No. Uh, but in what we currently believe to be the World Rally Championship, mm. which really goes back to the mid-80s, uh, it was part of that for 17 years. Am I right in saying, though, that we've never had six continents in the whole 48-year history, if you go all the way back? I don't believe any FIA World Championship has visited all six continents in the same year. Mm. So that's Europe, North America, South America, Asia, Africa and Australasia. Yes. Yeah, that is all six, you're right. Well, unless we go to Antarctica at some stage. No tracks there at the moment. You can maybe build a temporary one. Hey, it's a, it's a rally. You don't need a track. Uh, no, but you would do for any other FIA World Championship. Mm. Uh, Safari Rally um, has uh, changed a lot since we last saw it. No longer does it last a whole week and no. go over... Is that uh, going to thousands be... Thousands of kilometres. It's it... back to the three, uh, the standard three-day... Uh, format and it will be the eighth round of next year's calendar. Is that going to be the hub and spoke type um, event that the WRC has, or will it have a little bit of the atmosphere and the characteristics of the old safari? Oh, I'm sure it'll still have a lot of uh, uh, wonderful scenery and exotic wildlife you, and things like that. But presumably you won't have one-off special cars in it. They'll all be using the same cars for the rest of the year. So Hyundai um, will, uh, or Toyota will not come out with a big pickup truck. No. And Peugeot won't have a you know a 504 or something like that, or a pickup truck. Same, same cars. Yeah, okay. There will, of course, I mean, you can have one-off entries in any mm. rally. Um, I used to love more the safari about that for in that. a moment. Uh, Rally New Zealand returns after a seven-year uh, break. So that will be September. in September uh, on what is described as uh, the picturesque North Island city of Auckland. I've been to Auckland. I would not describe it as picturesque. <laughs> okay. Um, Great Britain starts the day after my birthday, 29th of October to uh, 1st of November, All Saints Day. That's the second to last. Now, so that would be the last uh, gravel rally then. Uh, Ooh, Germany's moved back in the calendar as well, I've just noticed there. Oh, that's great picking season. You can't have Germany in, you can't have Germany 15th to the 18th of October when they're getting the grapes in and drive through the vineyards. Grapes will be aided by then. 
That's July. a September job. Wow. Mexico, Chile, and Argentina are back to back. Yeah. As we head south, Spanish-speaking triple. Central and South America, uh, Finland, Turkey, uh, Sweden, Monte Carlo. Not in this order, Italy. No, no, no. Uh, uh, Fourteen rounds. That's enough, though, isn't it? That's perfect, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, this weekend, the mm-hmm. WRC, in fact, it starts tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, Wales Rally GB yes. uh, is taking place, and uh, there's, a driver, there's a driver taking part who almost didn't take part, right. or wasn't able to take part, uh, until uh, last Friday. Who's that, then? Uh, that would be Oliver Solberg. That's Petter... Petter's son of Petter. Son of Petter and and uh, her name's just gone out of my head. Who's Petter's wife? Who was the rally driver as well? Oh, that's terrible. Somebody will tweet it in. Go on. Anyway, uh, to take part in Wales Rally GB, you need to have a valid uh, road licence as well. Penilla Wilfredson. I had to look that up. I'm sorry, Penilla. That's terrible. Uh, do you? Yes. Why? To drive on the roads. What happens if you don't drive on the roads? Your co-driver could drive on the roads. What about the stages from the roads? There's no stages on the roads in Wales Rally GP. It's all forestry. There's no... And Alton Park. And the streets of North Wales. Uh, But they are closed. So they have... uh, By closing the roads, you have um, suspended the Road Traffic Act. And you're closed for the purposes of a speed trial or a race... Therefore, the Road Traffic Act doesn't apply, so you don't need to have a road licence. Anyway, you do need to have a road <laughs> licence to take part in Wales Rally GB, and uh, he failed the theory test. Oh, my goodness. So he then had to retake the theory test and the practical and passed on uh, Friday, I believe. Mm-hmm. All right. Good. Excellent. I'm still annoyed with myself. I forgot Penilla Wilfredson's name. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Dakar. Right. Um, Mini have uh, unveiled details of their team for next year. Right. Uh, Stefan Peter Hansel. Right, very good. Uh, will Multiple be partnered winner. by uh, Andrea Peter Hansel. Brother or son? Wife. Oh, Andrea. Right, okay. Uh, and Carlos Sainz. Ha- stop, stop, hang on. A husband and wife team with... The wife reading... Oh, either doesn't matter, actually. Husband and wife team with one of them reading the maps. I've got to tell you, there is a stat that says that satellite navigation has saved more marriages on long journeys than anything else. That's interesting. Very interesting. Carlos Science is not uh, married to Lucas Cruz. Right. Uh, but uh, we'll have <laughs> Lucas Cruz as his co-driver right. in the uh, other mini. Okay. Uh, World Endurance Championship. That's going to Fuji this weekend. It'll be Johnny Palmer and Bruce, Bruce Jones, Jones on the early shift in the UK for that on Friday and Saturday. Uh, seven, uh, sorry, Saturday and Sunday. Seven hours of rain delay for them to talk about. Yes, unfortunately, there is a cyclone that's blowing in again. I've got some news, if you'd like it. Mm-hmm. Um, when is When is a gulf not a gulf? As in Volkswagen Golf or no, Mexico G-U-L-F-E. Golf? No, G-U-L-F-E, yes, G-U-L-F. When Don't is a know. Golf not... When it's Golf racing, 
Uh, a black car with orange stripes on it that looks um, like the Batmobile and no Gulf Oils livery for that car and no mention of Gulf Oils on that car. Their tweet says, new direction, new livery. So, not sure about the story behind Mike Wainwright's team there, but uh, not still called Gulf Racing. Um, we'll find out in qualifying, I'd imagine. Mm, absolutely. Uh, also, uh, sorry? WEC star Kobe. Uh, Kamu Kobayashi mm-hmm. uh, is uh, going to drive in the Super GT DTM Dream Race at Fuji next month in a BMW. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? He's the second BMW driver to announce. They've already announced Alex Zanardi. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is one uh, seat to be filled. Audi have announced Mike Rockefeller, Lloyd Duval. Benoit Trelleway and Rene Rast as their drivers. Uh, and a quick final bit of news from WR, WEC, rather, the 88 Dempsey Proton Porsche, uh, Thomas Prining, Adrian Delena and Satori Hoshino in that number 88 car. This is the first time that Hoshino's been back in the WEC after he um, sort of kind of decided he didn't want to race anymore during the Le Mans 24 hours. He got pushed off and had a big accident. I'm not sure that the, t- that the team he was racing for at Le Mans really handled that as well uh, as it could have. He, he did race uh, with Dempsey Proton at WAC last year. Thomas Pining, by the way, is another driver who's been picked to test the Correct. Porsche Formula E uh, car Simona. as well, along with Simona. He, uh, he's a Porsche young professional, isn't he? Is. he? Well, we're yeah. talking about young Porsche drivers. Congratulations yep. to Dan Harper, who won the Porsche Carrera Cup Great Britain on Sunday morning. Uh, uh, did he win it in the first? He won it on Saturday, didn't he? Sunday morning. By starting the last race? No. By winning. Actually, he didn't even win. He finished fifth, I think. Uh, I thought he'd the, won it in the first race of the weekend. Yes, ah, was sorry, which morning. was on Sunday. Ah, I see. Sorry. The, I, I thought one was on Saturday, one was on Sunday. Lovely piece of um, attention to detail and a nod to their roots from uh, JTR, Joe Tandy Racing, Nick Tandy Racing's, uh, Nick Tandy's team. Nick, as many people will know, started his racing life on the short ovals. And in between uh, the confirmation of the championship being won and the second race, they put a gold roof on the car, which is very short track. And I thought that was great. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant stuff. Uh, and that's what we've got time for. Uh, weekend live action from Spa Francorchamps with Bradders, Trusses, and Binksy. It'll be Palmer and Bruce Jones. Uh, JP and Bruce Jones looking after the WEC from Fuji at the weekend. Check radio-show.co.uk for the times. It's all on RS1. And of course, we've got plenty of sound and vision uh, as far as the TCR 500. Is concerned. There's uh, no time to explain because the Llama is going to play with a Mazda 3. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.